lot of these late night movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddies. We discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. And I'm a sophisticated sex robot sent back through time to change the future for one lucky lady. We are almost there, Zach. This is the penultimate episode of the 2001 Fort Year. I'm I'm kind of in shock that we've made it this far. <laughs> I am saddened by this, Rob. You have no idea how saddened I am by it. No, I, I know, I know. But don't worry, you know, as uh, I don't want to, as I think some people might know if they're an astute listener, the uh, the next series that we pick up with after the fort year is over is going to be a great one. So you have that to look forward to, Zach. Aren't you excited to get out of the fort year and do something at least a little different? <laughs> no, Rob, I am not. <laughs> I want to live in 2000. I want to live on the, in the eve of, two, of 9-11 so badly. <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, man. Yeah. Now that you say that, it's like, well, what's the next series? And Zach's like, we're going to do the movies that came out after 9-11 in 2001. (laughs) So much garbage that came out right after that. So we are here in our penultimate episode, like I said, to discuss American Pie and American Pie 2. Of course, American Pie 2 being the 2001 release. So now, Zach, I'm, I'm interested, as we've always kind of talked about in these episodes for the fourth year, was American Pie 2 something you had, or have, I guess I should say, a ticket stub for? Was this one of, like, a, a raunchy movie you were seeing when you were, what, nine? <laughs> no, no. I didn't get to see these movies until, like, oh, God, I think, like, eighth grade. Okay. Because I know, I remember, I like, the kind of film that broke the proverbial dam with my mother was was The 40-Year-Old Virgin. Because, like, I think it was, like... Oh god! Like winter of two thousand five, that had just come out like on DVD, and I'm like, I want to see this. And like again, like most Americans, like anything that was like sexual, my mother was like, no, you're not watching. But like I've been watching like the Terminator, all the violence I could sit there consume, like since I was eight years old. <laughs> sure. And, and so like I remember really convincing her like hard into like I I want I I need to see this movie, and that was kind of like again that was the piece that caused the dam to break. Mm-hmm. I don't think I saw the American Pie films until I want to say like maybe like a few months later because that's when I started getting. In, I think once I saw American Pies one and two, I started getting into like all the others. Because I remember like I remember when American Wedding came out in two thousand three. And it was like my nephew's family, and like I remember hearing stories from them being like, "Oh, like so and so." Like I think it was like my sister in law was like, "Oh, one of my sisters saw the movie, and at one point, one of the guys like eats like dog poop," and it was like, <laughs> "Okay," which sounds something more like you'd hear from like jackass. Yeah, yeah. Like it just it just sounded out of place like in an American Pie movie, even like God in two thousand three. And so, but like again, those movies always like they were part of the cultural zeitgeist. It was hard to ignore them in the early two thousands. And so, I eventually did watch. The, I, I can't give you a specific timetable, but I did watch them all sometime in two thousand six because I think I've told Rob a couple times now, and I think we've been made it onto the podcast. The fourth film, the first direct to DVD sequel, might be the best film in the franchise. What is the uh, title of that one? That's Bandcamp. Okay. Okay. And that's when I kind of like got into American Pie. It was like I think I got the DVD. I think I got American Pie two on DVD for Christmas in two thousand six, <laughs> and I got the DVD for American Pie sometime in two thousand seven. 
Um, and then after that, I kind of lost interest in the franchise. Um, I don't like American Wedding. I find it a very just like a cash grab movie because like half the cast doesn't even show up in that movie because like they couldn't be bothered. Mm-hmm. Like I've read the stuff that like Chris Klein, like Terry Reed won no parts of the franchise after the second one. They felt it was below them. And then, like, I remember even when American Reunion, like, was being, like, made and, like, hearing about that, being like, oh, that's neat. Like, they're actually getting the people back who refuse to be in the American Wedding. Then, like, I saw the trailers for it, and I'm just like, this is sad. I'm like, I, nobody <laughs> wants to see, like, like a 35-year-old Sean William Scott, like, doing the Stifler routine. Sure. Like, I, I love Sean William Scott as an actor. I think he's, like, I, it's kind of sad that even to this day he's still kind of, like, oh, God, pigeonholed into the Stifler, like, archetype mm-hmm. like he, he's done a decent enough job like in the last couple of years of breaking out of that but to this day he's always like, he's like he's always gonna be stifler but uh no that's kind of my history with american pie like I, it really hasn't been something that i've been like focused on since like as like someone in their early teenage years sure sure no i'm, I'm in the same boat where i was not watching this in 2001 you know i i don't have a ticket stub nor did i even see it in theater and throw away my ticket stub um but when i sat down to watch these for this recording both of them in the last 24 hours uh that i kind of realized that i think i had seen enough of the first one in parts but i don't think i've ever sat down and actually watched it in full the second one I had never seen. Like, as when I started watching American Pie 2, I was like, wow, I, I honestly think I've never seen this movie. The first one, I was kind of like, I realized that maybe I had, like, caught some parts of it on TV, on HBO, like, pieces here and there. And the rest of the gaps in my knowledge just were from cultural osmosis, because this is such yep. a, a famous movie. So I, I kind of was watching this for the first time, and I found that pretty interesting, at least in terms of, like, a, a film blind spot for me to, to cover up. Do, Am I happy that I covered it up in the sense that I, I got to, you know, fill in a gap of my film history knowledge? Yes. Am I happy that I had to watch these movies? Kind of not really. I didn't really like either of these, Zach. <laughs> okay, that's the thing I think might be almost like the inverse of, like, Rat Race for us. <laughs> okay. Because, like, I, I guess I have some level of nostalgia for these movies. Because, like, I found these movies, like, I, these movies were unbelievably successful. At yes. least the first. Like, I don't think there's been like, – there's a reason why they made, like, five directed DVD sequels because there's, like, a ton of money in, in this series. Um, I think really the only one that ever underperformed was, like, American Reunion was because, like, nobody just cared at that point, like, ten years later. But, like, the first movie had, like, a budget of, I think, like, $11 million. It went yeah. out to gross, like, almost like a quarter of a billion dollars worldwide in 1999, which was unheard of. Yep, for like 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 a teen sex comedy. Then the second movie comes out like two years later, and it does better in the U.S. than it did the first one by like like almost like God like a third. And it like it was just like wow, like there's so much money here. But I go ahead. I I was about to say that I I definitely like looked into that because I know these movies are so popular. Like we said, there's a reason. Um, for cult, the cultural osmosis knowledge that everybody, I think, has with these movies. And it makes me think of, um, you know, American Pie 1 and 2 is exactly that phenomenon that we talked about back with Shrek, where it's like the first one is such a big hit that the second one rides the wave and becomes even more successful. Oh, definitely. And that's and that's the thing. But, like, I think they're, like, the thing about, like, teen sex comedies, and, of course, there's no shortage of those, and the thing that makes American Pie special is that, like, whoever was writing these movies... All the characters, A, for the most part, you can believe that they're teenagers. 
Sure. Like, I, for the for the first two, like toward the like end of the second one, where you're looking at like Chris Klein, you're like, yeah, like he definitely <laughs> looks like he's like in his mid to late twenties. But like, if you squint, you can still kind of like say like, okay, I could see him being a college kid. Not not like a freshman coming out of college, but like I could see him being like a senior almost. You squint hard enough. Mm-hmm. But I think that's the thing that first made this series so endearing is the fact like the characters were A, looked realistic, and B, I think most of their shenanigans are not like far-fetched or dialed up. Sure, like, sure. Are they exaggerated? Yes, but I don't think they're dialed up to the point of like suspension of disbelief. Yeah, there, there's a certain level to it where they're kind of like riding the fine line between absurdity and just like shock raunch humor type of thing. Exactly. And I think there is like there's raunchiness here, but it's not like the equivalent of like just saying certain words. Like no one says like, oh, like I can't wait to sit there like so, like using just like I don't want to say not slurs is not the right word, but just using like like bad language. Like there isn't mm-hmm. anything like that. Like most of the jokes come from some sort of physical gag, whether it be Jim and the apple pie, like the the oh god, the trumpet up the ass. Yep. There is more of a physical gag to it as opposed to just like yelling curse words because it's fun. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, I I think it's something that you know we don't get to a lot on this podcast. And the few times we have, I think it's kind of clear. You know, the one I'm thinking about is way way back when Men, Women, and Children. Um, I, I know you love delightful. Kind of, you love a lot of that like raunchy visual gags. Like I remember very vividly from our discussion where you're just like Robbie cuts a hole in Nerf football, <laughs> fills it with moisturizer, and fucks it. And I'm like Zach, I don't like this. <laughs> And that, I kind of, when I was watching American Pie 1 and 2, I was getting vibes of like, I'm like, yeah, this is the kind of like visual sex raunched gags that Zach seems to gravitate towards. And I'm just like, this is kind of gross. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, there, okay, this is my TED talk. When it comes <laughs> to visual sexual raunch, there is a multitude, a vast, vast difference between Jason Biggs boinking up apple pie and the kid in Memory and Children cutting a hole in their football <laughs> and, and pumping it full of moisturizer. Sure. What, like, one of them is called American Pie. And on the poster, it's like, like a pie with a hole in it. And that gag is set up that at some point he's trying to fuck a pie. Like yes. that, that is established. That's more of a, no, uh, a situation of convenience type of thing. Like the pie exactly. is there, he and he has the thought that type of and thing. He, and he's also like an overly sexualized, like seventeen, eighteen year old. Yes. In Men, Women, and Children, it's supposed to be a drama, and the kid's like thirteen, and he's like, "I want to experience sex. What's the closest facsimile for this? A Nerf ball with lube? Like, like what is? Ha- and that's just on top of everything else. Where he's texting the like the teenage girl, like, "I just," like, she's like, "Yeah, I'm with them all, but Judy Greer." And he's like, "I just came." It's like, what? <laughs> what? Rob, there needs to be a revisit of, of men, women, and children. Because, like, I, I, how do you want your eggs, Rob? How do you want your eggs? <laughs> how do you want your eggs? <laughs> I cheated on you. How do you want your eggs? I cheated on you. How do you want your eggs? <laughs> That's how I remember that scene. <laughs> it's beautiful. That film is a masterpiece. I'm glad um, that you anyway. mentioned, though, that um, you know, this is going to kind of be the inverse of, uh, of Rat Race. Uh, a discussion that we had um, many weeks ago, of course, Zach, uh, that, you know, this is kind of the the differences that we have in comedy. Now, before we get into it more, because, of course, we have two movies to discuss. We're going to have our thoughts. We're going to have all these these scenes, I'm sure, to talk about. Before we really dive into it, Zach, Zach I would like to make a pact. Wow. I think we should make a pact that by the end of this discussion, 
we lose our virginity. What Ooh. do you think? Ooh. Okay, I called dibs. Oh God, uh, Mina Savarna. Is that her name? It's Mina Suvari. <laughs> Suvari. Close I enough. You mess it up in the. In I the know. Shirts, I yeah, too. Rob, because it's an easy name like Jane Smith to constantly say. <laughs> but uh, it, okay, so we have this pack. Zach and I are going to lose our virginities before the end of this episode. My direct follow up to that is, I want to say, hey, uh, Zach, you come here often. <laughs> <laughs> Only if you give me a pale ale beforehand. Oh, man. No, so, I mean, what um, – yeah, of course, American Pie 2 is our you know 2001 movie. We, we t- figured we'd tack on American Pie because that's such an important one, which is no stranger to the fort year. What do you, what do you want to start with, Zach? Do you want to do like, you know – um, the 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 first one first. I know with like Legally Blonde, we talked a lot about the comparisons between the two movies. Um, what do you think? Well, that's the thing that like is so interesting about these movies is that like for the most part they they stand on their own. Like I don't like like you can kind of infer everything about the second one. I'm sorry about the first one. Like what happens without needing to see it if you watch just the, like the second one going in cold. Okay, because like you get you get that intro of like Jim on like like moving out day. Hooking up with the blonde girl, and Jim's dad walks, in, and that tells you everything you know about Jim. Sure, sure. And oh, yeah. After you know, when I started watching the second one, I was like, "Yep they they know what movie they made the first time around. They know they need Eugene Levy to own those awkward scenes. So it makes sense to just jump right into it." Well, think about like think about all the things that became kind of like weird like institutions in pop culture from these movies, like the term MILF. Oh, like, sure. It, did, sure. it didn't originate from that movie. But like it became a mainstay in the in the zeitgeist to this day because mm. of this. One of the most like, interesting things I thought was that, uh, of course, like I said, basically, you know, watching this for the first time, um, one of the people talking about Stifler's mom as a milf is John Cho. Which I love was it. I love crazy it. to me. And then in the credits, John Cho is credited. John Cho and the other actor who I did not write their name down and did not recognize, they're credited as milf guys. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Like I love how John Tro now tries to like like oh god ever since like the Star Trek movies he was in yep. he tries to like like oh god exemplify himself as like this highbrow actor and it's like dude you got like your main like your introduction to the world was milf milf as you're making out with like like, like a picture of Jennifer Coolidge it's like <laughs> calm your butt down <laughs> calm your butt yes, down yes yes uh, and as a shameless plug for the uh, Cinemodities Patreon uh, Cinemodities Plus as we call it. Uh, head on over there where Ben and I discuss searching, where I say the same exact thing, where I'm like, I've never taken John Cho seriously until that movie, and he's really good in it. Does that make me think he's a great actor overall? Kind of, because that performance is amazing, but you can't not look at him and think, you know, um, Harold, <laughs> from Harold and Kumar. I, like I said, that's, like, of course he's done, like, he did his, like, oh god, like, dumb, like, teen comedies, which is fine, but, like... It's one thing if he started out his career with Harold and Kumar, because at least there he's playing the straight man. Yeah, yeah. This, he is just, he's he's just a dude, bro. Yep, absolutely. Even, and even the second film, like, his really only major scene is, like, urinating on Stifler. I was shocked that they, he came back for the second one, and he had just little, so little to do, but then as I watched the second one, I started to realize they literally got everybody back. <laughs> Pretty much. They got everyone they needed to back. Mm-hmm. But no, going back to your, your question about like how you want to just like dig into this. Um, first, is I want to get this out of the way because it wouldn't be appropriate considering the major theme of not just the fourth year but of the podcast as a whole. I almost died. I almost just exploded from laughter when Nadia calls Jim 
and we see the World Trade Center oh, in the background. Yeah. I just started dying. I'm just like, this is nothing warms my heart more than, than that shot. And I love that, like, like as I was looking at that scene, I'm like, why? This doesn't look like a New York City street. I'm like, what is happening? Like, it, it reminds me of, like, the Amazing Spider-Man 2 where, like, there's a residential neighborhood right off of Times Square. <laughs> and I'm just like, what is I, – I, like, mentally, my brain – it goes back to, like, Room 237 stuff of, like, my, my mind can't mentally comprehend this subconsciously. And I'm like, what is happening? So, like, I looked in, like, as we all know, the Bastion of Truth, IMDb Trivia. Yes. And they're like, oh, yeah, they shot this in California and just, like, matted the World Trade Center into the background. I read that exact same thing on IMDb Trivia, and I didn't dive into, um, you know, any corroboration for it. But I'm with you in the sense that I read that after seeing the movie, and I had the same thought that you did the movie, and I'm just like, there's, there's not this perfect of a shot of New York, you know? So they're just like, what? Yeah, Twin Towers, you know, we'll composite in the background, throw a hot dog vendor up front. We're good to go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, ignore the palm trees. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but yeah, just, like, I, I easily, like, if we're ranking our favorite, like, scenes or shots from the fourth year, if that's <laughs> not number one, it's easily top three. Like, that's just, like, if they're ever... Ever like if I ever did direct a movie, I want every skyline shot to have like some version of like the Twin Towers. In it. <laughs> like it, it doesn't matter where the characters are, where the scene is taking place. It, just, it needs to be there. Like I'm sorry. Like, yeah, you're right. It's kind of like a great you know now that we're so close to the end of the fourth year, it's a great retrospective of you know like this with the composited Twin Towers, the Twin Towers sticking out of the water in AI, the Twin Towers with the with the Target sign on them and Josie and the Pussycats. Like, <laughs> like we've, had a, we've had a lot of great imagery of something that shortly after did not exist. <laughs> yes. I, I think I love the thing about that Nadia shot is that, like, they could have very easily just gotten some, like, stock footage mm -hmm. yeah. of, like, of like, like, a flyover of New York City, like, an establishing shot, and then just cut to her in a food fun booth somewhere. Yeah, exactly. It, di it didn't need to be, like you said, a composite shot. And I love that their way of just being – New York City is just 9-11. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Whatever. The audience gets my drift. Uh, but yeah, no. Best shot of the movie, 10 out of 10. Uh, anyway, though, so getting back to this, like I, I guess for those of you who haven't seen this film, the, the plot summary is, is that dudes want to have sex. Like yes. that, that's just that's just the plot of the movie of the movies, possibly the franchise. But there is a level, like I said earlier, when it comes to the characters that I don't want to say heartwarming, but they are realistic. They're not just caricatures. Sure, I, I definitely would not use heartwarming, um, but believable, you mentioned earlier, fleshed out, realistic. You know, the this movie never goes truly absurd. It really kind of does keep it in line, even though it's some, some goofy stuff. And there's a few things that I have issues with, which I'm sure we'll get to, like Nadia, you know, masturbating in a stranger's room in the first movie. <laughs> but but you're right. I mean, the characters all have their little their little quirks, their archetypes. It's It works on that storytelling level. My My only issue, really is that I think the first movie, even with that, kind of as a whole feels very dry to me. Like, it's got that, you know, relatable young man raunch, I think, like we've been saying. And, and the plot is basically, you know, just as thin as it can be, where it's like dudes want to have sex, they make a pact to have sex, all leading up to, you know, prom or whatever to, to actually get it done. The, and I'm fine with that. Even though I didn't really like the first one, I'm just like, I get what they're going for. There's, there's a handful of funny moments that I'm sure we'll get to. 
the second movie I don't think has a discernible plot. The second movie might be entirely useless as far as I'm concerned. The second movie is the definition of more the same. Yes. But they put enough of a fresh spin on it, you don't really notice it that much. I I I kind of see what you're saying. I don't know if it's a spin. It's just like they took out one layer, it seems. Because I don't – like what's the plot of the second one? They want to have sex but at the beach. <laughs> and there's no well, act. Yeah. There's no There's no like, you know – like I feel like the movie tries to say something at the end when the one dude is like, yeah, I never really grew up after high school. And I'm like, that would be interesting if that's what any of the rest of the movie was about. But instead you have an elongated, like, quid pro quo sex act scene with the two women in the house they're painting. Well, and guess what? That was, like, as we discussed in the Hannibal episode, that was their, that was their angle. And yes. it worked. Like that that scene, I would imagine, easily brought in like thirty to fifty million dollars alone. Absolutely. Because also, because also, keep in mind that like that sort of thing was not as ubiquitous as we live in now, like mm-hmm. on a cultural level. Like, like my joke was in college that like when you like walked around like the campus, they said most of those poster sales. I don't, know, I don't know if that's still a thing ten years later, but like you had like choice of four posters. You had Al Pacino from Scarface. <laughs> you had a weed flower. Uh, Travolta and Jackson from uh, Pulp Fiction, yep. and you had the two women making out on the bed in their underwear. Like that, those are your like four posters. So, like the idea of two very attractive women like making out and just like getting handsy with each other, and there being some like like oh god, frontal nudity. Yep, I get how that would be an angle. Like like I said, everything about these movies on a commercial level, I think is a well made decision. Oh, I mean, especially, you know, talking about the the second one riding the wave of the first. Like, I feel like the first in 1999 is this, you know, kind of this teen sex comedy. I, I think there's a lot of, you know, stuff that people see as ridiculous. Like, of course, the famous pie thing, the, uh, the very famous, you know, um, this one time at band camp, all that stuff. I feel like it was kind of, you know, when the second one was coming out, everybody was like on the edge of their seats going, what's going to happen in this one? Like, how crazy can they make it, you know? I also yes, but at the same time too, I think the characters were endearing. I think that's the right word I'm looking for. I think the characters are endearing. Okay, okay. And I think that's the reason why this series endured for at least a few, like for a few years initially. Sure, sure. And and yeah, I mean, uh, they do have good chemistry with each other. Like I said, I think the the like group of friends that all have their own like little gimmicks and shticks and archetypes and stuff like that. They interact well together, and and that adds a lot to the movie for sure. Yeah, and I think, like I said, it goes back to that, like, that it's obviously a Hollywood-made movie, but I think there's a level of realism that's almost exclusive to the script mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. maybe the performances because there's no performance in this, in either film, that seems over the top outside of Sean William Scott. Yes, absolutely, especially in the second one. He's, like, dialed up to, like, the Omega level of his of the Stifler character. <laughs> but that's, like, but, like, I kind of loved, I, I kind of forgot, I haven't seen the second movie in a while. Mm-hmm. So when I rewatched it for this, like, discussion, I forgot how, like, much more he's in this. Sure, And sure. just, like, because, like, he's, like, we see him in the, in the very beginning of the second one. He's with Chris Klein as they're going to, like, a final exam. And it's like a, like, a, like a large lecture, like lecture hall. And like, he's like, oh, you're going to love this man. And obviously Stiffer's doing is just see like up all the girls skirts. And he's like, look, she's got little hearts on her panties. And I'm just like, I'm not even laughing at that like situation. I'm just laughing at the way he just like enunciates that. See what they are today, dude. See what they are today. Okay, here we go. Moment of truth. Ooh. 
Oh, there's little hearts in her panties. Super. There's little hearts in her panties. Come on, look, you pussy, look. What the fuck, man? Come on. She's got little hearts on her pants. I'm just like laughing sure. at the way he's delivering the line. And I'm just like, like his enthusiasm, like, like the level of just, oh God, effervescence that Sean William Scott has for this character in the second one. Like if you ever wanted to see an actor literally just like be like balls deep in a character, <laughs> it's, it's here. Like he is committing to this in a way that I would say most other actors would be afraid to. Or probably sure. couldn't even wouldn't even be able to. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I know. I know what you're saying the scene. I'm also thinking of at the, near the start of the second one is when they go to the party at his house, and there's like that tracking shot of him just negging everybody that he comes into contact with. Like, there's one girl. He's like, they say like hi, and he's like, oh my god, talk about the freshman fifteen, and then it just keeps going, and it's just like <laughs> rapid fire lines like that. <laughs> then he's like, sure. Like you see, like you see in the first movie, like he like sees Sherman, and he's like. Hey Sherman, he's like, oh hey Stifler, what the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> yeah. And then like, and just walks by, which is like great. Cause like again, it's just like okay, like that's the sort of stuff that would happen. Like there's been people on both sides of that quote unquote conversation at a part a high school party. Sure. And then you have the second film where like the exact same thing is happening. Like he's going around the room, like making all of his snide comments, Stifler, and like we see Sherman there, and he's like. Hey, and he's like, oh, hey, Sherman, it's been a while. He's like, ha ha, good for you, Stifler. He's like, no, man, I, I'm really glad to see you. It's been a while. All right, then. And he's like, yeah, what's he say the second time? He's just like, like, he's like, oh, fuck you. Yeah, just yeah, walks yeah, away. Definitely. It's like, like, it's more clever than that. But like, it's, it's amusing. Like, that's the thing about it, though. It's like, this, again, this is not high art. It's, it's amusing. Like, this is the definition of almost like, a vaudevillian like teenage experience yeah vaudevillian is a great word for it especially in the second one you know the like i mentioned the um the the quid pro quo like lesbian i guess lesbian in quotation marks scene before the the women are even in that the it all starts with stifler just going into the house and he finds a dildo and he's just (laughs) running around frantically and then the the impetus of them getting stuck in the house when the women come back is that they they need to put the dildo back and stifler cannot remember where he found it because he says something like i got too excited and i'm like that's just bonkers (laughs) that's what i mean like the stifler character is the best like tell me if you're if i'm wrong though but like the stifler character is the best part like he is the blood running through the second movie Yes, definitely mo- in the second movie, yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing. Cause, like, I was reading, like, some, like, stuff, like, like, like the production, like, notes on the second film. And, like, apparently they want to make a much serious or more – or serious or not being a real <laughs> word – a more serious film. Because, like, apparently there was an entire subplot where Chris Klein – and Heather, like, cheat on each other. Yeah, yeah. And I, like, I'm like, I had, again, like, so somebody who's been aware of this movie for, like, 15 years now, I was like, what? Like, I've never heard of this before. And, like, I went and find, found, like, the behind-the-scenes featurette, and, like, they talk about it. They're like, oh, yeah, Chris Klein's, like, being interviewed, and he's like, yeah, like, this movie delves into something a little more serious than what my character was, like, dealing with in the first film, the idea of, like, a long-distance relationship and, like, making something work, like, if there is not, like, that level of physicality there. And then, like, you watch the film, and their entire plot is their subplot is just phone sex. Yes. <laughs> and even like, and even that, like, you have you have Chris Klein and Heather like doing like, like having their phone sex conversation, and Stifler just shows up, 
and they're like, Stifler, get off, man. I am getting off with yes. you two talking yeah, like that. Yeah. And I'm like, this is this is great. I'm like, this is this is all we need. Like, even though like it's some of the stuff is very, very like bare minimum because that by the time of the second film, Jim is the main character. Mm-hmm. He's kind of the de facto main character of the first one. But there's an argument to be made that once again, it is to some degree an ensemble film. Sure. Amongst the, uh, the first film, that is. But by the second film, it's very much Jim's story because obviously, like things like Eugene Levy's character really once again hijacked the culture at the time. Yes. Oh, yeah. And that's uh, I think Eugene Levy, all the scenes with him and Jim doing the the awkward, you know, talks and stuff. That's what really is the best stuff about that first movie. I think. Oh yeah, and so and the problem is that like now, like oh god. There is so much comedy that is predicated on that awkward sense of humor. Yep. Like yep. I, there, I, I feel confident in saying that like you do not get any NBC sitcom between 2005 to 2016 without the Eugene Levy, Jason Biggs moments. Sure. From 100%. the first and the second film, because like it's just like it's the first mainstream instance of awkward humor clicking <laughs> yeah because <laughs> think about it, the, the the teenagers the kids that were like 14 15 16 17 that were watching these movies in the early not i'm sorry late 90s early 2000s are the ones that became adults and made the office 30 rock parks wreck huge success absolutely absolutely and that's what i mean like this is kind of like a very like a god the equivalent of like the little salamander creature coming out of the primordial ooze. <laughs> sure. I like of that. What would, of what would become the detriment to mankind when it comes to sitcoms. Yes. Um, uh, what else is there? So, like, like, okay, so I'm curious, Rob. Like, what if, like, you, do you like the, you didn't like these movies, but you found them tolerable, I imagine, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I think um, the first one much more so than the second one, because like I said, I think the second one is a lot of uselessness, and a lot of the scenes just go on forever, and they're they're all just so drawn out and stuff like that. But it wasn't like, you know, impossible to get through. And then the first one, I think, had enough of just crazy comedy um, to 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 keep going and stuff like that, but they're not like horrendous. I don't think I hate them. They're just ah, this this type of stuff is just you know not not my cup of tea. I guess <laughs> that's. But this is the thing I find interesting. Like, and I think this is just my own personal taste. Is that like I always prefer a sequel to the original because I hate having to be like having that foundation level and how much time a first film of anything spends introducing and laying the groundwork oh sure. i just i just want to take off like I, I i i'm like i get it like and that's why i think i prefer the second film so much more to the first film is that it it, it lays that groundwork perfectly because again you have that awkward interaction with jim on on moving out day you have stifler and oz you have all that you have like very brief moments of eddie k thomas mm-hmm. freddie and uh, Kevin, who I don't even know what the actor's name is for Kevin. He's just Kevin. Thomas and, like, Ian Nicholas. And I think he sucks in both of these movies. <laughs> well, he's – the problem is that, like he's probably the most like realistic character in either film. Yeah, and that might be why I dislike him so much because – That's he, why he sucks. It's yeah, where I, I wanted to get – he's the one who had like the least amount of kind of, you know – quirkiness or or like like attribute that you know made him stand as a character and and i wanted to get to the other ones for something to to latch on to like i really in the first part i think maybe both movies i think i really liked you know uh, eddie k thomas's character 
because he just has all these like this weird nuance of the rumors being spread about him and you know all the way he tries to act so suave and pretentious and stuff like that was interesting same thing like we said with Stifler he has his shtick uh Kevin's character is just like you know Kevin's entire character for two films is I want to have sex with Terry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That is like that is his entire character for two films is I want to have sex with Terry Reed and Terry will have sex with me. And he gets sad in the third act in both films. <laughs> yes. But like like I said, like don't get me wrong, these these films are not high art, but I think most of the reason why they click is the chemistry of the cast. I think yes, everybody yeah. is riding off each other in a way that is very very difficult for any movie like outside of like oh god jj abrams star trek i cannot think of another thing where like it was just cast so well and nobody really like outshines the other and everyone just kind of clicks with each other yeah 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 that's that's a good point i especially you know talking about the chemistry of the characters i in the first movie because like we already mentioned it barely exists in the second um, Mina Suvari and Chris Klein's chemistry is wonderful in the first movie. It's it's the parts I think my least favorite parts of the first movie are when the script gets bogged down at oh I'm mad at you and then Chris Klein le- leaving the big game to go to the concert. I'm just like oh god please let me skip this. <laughs> <laughs> I still like the idea of a senior in high school joining a club like a month before graduation. <laughs> sure, I find that as a concept fascinating. Like how does the teacher? Like, I, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's just there for the sake of the plot, and I can see that. But, like, I just, like, I love the idea of, like, okay, can I join this club? And you're, gra- it's May. You are graduating in, like, a matter of weeks. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, I've had this passion for so long. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It it, it doesn't matter because, you know, the, the angle of the script and the plot is that, you know, Chris Klein, Oz, the character Oz, you know, is playing the angle of you're like oh the sensitive guy in the the acapella you know sing uh, song club and then i mean but just as easily i could see that they put a scene where it's like you know oh someone you know gets injured at the party in the beginning and that dude happened to be on the the singing club team and they needed a spot to fill but you're right they don't need any of that they know they don't need any of that because whatever you know it ju- it just I, happens <laughs> exactly and that's where again giving credit where credit is due this, these films are both very tight. Like, there's nothing overly superfluous. Like, everything, I, I think for the most part, is bare, it's bare bones. Oh, absolutely. I think as, as the second one, I think both, I agree with you there. The second one, it's still kind of tight. I think there's just, the scenes go on too long. Which isn't to say it's not tight, because it's all related to what the movie's going for. Um, but I, I felt like it, it moved a little better in the first, maybe because we had more character dynamics rather than just our like main five like tara reed and natasha leone just basically don't exist in the second movie you know but in the first one there's a whole dynamic from that that like female perspective that adds a lot more to it yeah and that's probably a reason why like those two characters did not show up in the third film is okay. that like and on top of the fact that tara reed thought she was like above all this is, is yeah. that like it really wasn't anything for them to do it's like where do you like with some of these characters it's like where do you go from here Mm-hmm. Exactly, and and I think that's kind of you know the um one of the issues with the the second movie, uh, once again in the sense that it doesn't really matter. They just it had to have it happen. Like all these kids, you know, our five main characters go to this cabin or this house uh, on on the beach, and then you know just for some reason everybody else from their school from the first movie is there as well. <laughs> but 
and like the I, band I, camp is in running distance from uh, their their house, you know. <laughs> sure, but that's the thing. I I gotta give the second film credit for is that like in Hollywood, there's so many instances, and like we talked about it maybe a couple times now in the fourth year, and we'll definitely talk about it at the very end when it comes to Jeepers Creepers. But it's the idea of like retelling the events of the first film, but sure. just changing it enough that like it doesn't come. It's not glaring. Yeah, and yeah. I've got to say is that like the second film is a pretty good facsimile of the first film without you noticing it, because you have like it, it, it's it's the exact same beat. You have a bunch of guys who, like we said, just want to have sex. Mm-hmm. For the most part, they're not doing it out of some like misplaced sense of like oh god bravado outside of Stifler, and yet like it's like oh how do we do this? And Kevin goes to his brother, gets like oh god a tip trick like hint, and it like becomes a catalyst for the plot. And it's essentially rinse, lather, repeat from there. Yes. Even all the way yes. down to like the Nadia things, like the gym hurdles. It's like Jim has all these hurdles when it comes to Nadia. And then he ends up like full circle back to like Allison, what, Flanagan? Hannigan, yeah. Hannigan, goddammit. Who I must say in uh, both of these movies, she is a cutie patootie with those ponyta- uh, pigtails. <laughs> uh, but yes, like that. Okay, so. Is there a pati- okay? I'm trying to think. Well, I guess again, I, I want to delve into some scenes though, but like, this is the problem with discussing comedies. It becomes like, oh, sure. this was funny, that was funny, that didn't work. But like, some of the moments that like I kind of forgot about when rewatching it was that like, even with like Chris Klein, he's with the college girl, and like, we get like the establishing shot of them like at like the steamy pond, mm-hmm. and he's like, oh, so what's your major? Oh, I'm studying become a w- women's independence, this is this and this major. I started dying laughing at that. I'm just like, <laughs> This is delightful because it's like this is where, again, you got to give the movie credit for 1999. And then like he's like you have a woman that's clearly a, a, a feminist and he's like, so my friends call me Nova Casanova. And she, she, she's just kind of she's just kind of just sitting there and he's like, suck me, beautiful. And she's like starts laughing. And I'm like, if that, this is the thing. I was like, A, you wouldn't get that sort of dialogue today. Like mm-hmm. like. We should say you are never, ever getting another like teen sex comedy in the new millennium. You're just not. There's there's no way. And the problem is that like and Rob's going to either hate or love this like <laughs> statement. The close like what today's generation has when it comes to American Pie is our favorite series of all time, Rob. Euphoria. Oh, yeah. 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 You're absolutely I think about right. Rob. You might not like American Pie 1 and 2, but it's infinitely better than Euphoria. Well, I'll give you that. And that's that's also, I think, you know, you're, you're absolutely right that that's the closest thing we have to it. In the teen sex genre, Euphoria totally falls in that category. But Euphoria wants to be self-serious, preachy, you know, getting to the real details of what the teens are actually going through. Where that is probably why I hate that movie so much and the parts of uh, men, women, and children that I absolutely despise get at that idea as well, where American Pie never takes itself seriously. Yeah, you know, Kevin's going to get sad at the end because he has emotions, and people do have emotions, but that's just, like, a little beat of the movie so they can get back together and be friends and you feel like they've accomplished something at the end of a very thin plot. <laughs> sure, but this is the thing, though. There's a reason. I think I, it's very obvious now if you've listened to Cinemodies is that I have a fondness for this type of film. Sure. And, and I think the reason why, like, I enjoy all of this on different levels, and I'm not sure if Rob has surmised this, but we're going to both, like, unpack this in real time, <laughs> is that, like, I I like 
American Pie because it's succeeding at making the teen sex comedy relatable. Sure. In the sense of like it's it, it's being like the story is being presented along with the performances, quote unquote, at the level. And I'm like, okay, well done. It's it's t- it's aiming and it's landing its shots for the most part. I enjoy Euphoria, all these other like men, women, and children because they are warping the notion of the teen sex comedy into like you said, self serious like dramas, and they're failing miserably at it. So I am laughing at the absurdity of it, and I am appreciating it on the fact that it's it's aiming and it's like going far left. Sure, sure, I see what you're saying. And that's why I appreciate all this because, like, I like this genre, but like, I like it when it's either landing its shots or it's so just again, it goes back to my thing of like Batman v Superman. You either make a competent superhero movie that is that breaks the mold or you just go so gonzo with it. It's like, this is this is so unique, we have to appreciate just how bizarre it is. Yeah, I know. I know exactly what you're saying, and um, I, I think this falls in the same category. I think it was a while ago, but you were like, "There's this what the generation or genera plus ion on HBO." Yes. You were like, "Telling me about it," and I'm like, "Of course, you want to tell me about this." <laughs> yes, problem that generate plus sign ion is not as good as Euphoria because it try it. it, it Leans more toward American Pie than Euphoria. Oh, okay, okay. But like, don't get me wrong. It's trying to do the Euphoria thing. It, it's it's a more lighthearted Euphoria. That's probably the best way to put it. Gotcha. Um, and also, I, I'm pretty sure there's no Sydney Sweeney in a generation. <laughs> but I, but I'm glad you mentioned our favorite ingenue from Euphoria because if you were to go to the writers of American Pies one and two in the late '90s, early 2000s, and say we want to have a sequence. Where one of the, where Allison Flanagan gets off on a carousel, they would sure. say, eh, I, "I have a, I, I, again, this is a teen sex comedy, capital T S C." And if you were to pitch them on that idea as a sequence, they'd be like, mm, "Like I don't know, like I don't know if it's funny." And B, we really don't want to humiliate the actress and the character that way. Sure, sure. Yet, yet in Euphoria. That has its head so far lodged up its own ass. They're like, we're going to have this in the movie. I'm sorry, in the TV show. And we're going to consider it high art. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's that's what I find so fascinating about Euphoria. Euphoria doesn't understand that it's it's absolute garbage. And the thing that makes that fascinating is that, like, it's a farce. Mm-hmm. And yet nobody, the thousands upon thousands of people that are involved with that, nobody is aware of it. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that's, the, you know, there's also, I think what you're saying is, you know, you have the more extreme case of it where you'll check out the other, you know, like generation and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, the, there's a reason I uh, didn't like – I like – enjoy is the right word. I enjoyed watching Euphoria the first season as well because I don't think either of us have seen the specials. That's the, the two specials that came out. Um, but, like, I think we talked about it however many years ago in some recording, maybe like in a, a, the two-year extravaganza or something, where it's like – that carnival episode where, you know, she gets off on the carousel is the best episode of Euphoria because it is just going so goofy and playing it so seriously. Like our favorite, you know, uh, how many pretzels would you ladies like? Bitch, we don't eat carbs. <laughs> Two, please. Two, please. Hey. Hey. You not having fun? No. Yeah, me neither. You want to do Molly? Welcome to Pretzelmania. Can I take your order? How many pretzels do you want? We don't eat carbs. Two, please. 
That'll be forty. But yeah, so I'm I'm with you. I know I know what you're saying for sure. But you're to to get at something else you mentioned. You're absolutely right that um I think these topics are the things that it, when they're portrayed more in the modern era, they they need to be or the the industry feels the need to put some level of seriousness on it. I I guess that's their notion of making it more relatable. Where American Pie, like you said, hits the nail on the head of making it relatable by making the characters more you know, like, awkward, like teenagers would be. I guess the thing that comes to mind is I, I would have to look up the name of it, but remember there was, like, that that little more raunchy comedy with kids, like, Jacob Tremblay was in it. It was called, like... Oh, I, Good Boys. I, or good Boys, boys. Yeah, something like yeah. that. That's yeah. the closest thing in recent history I can think of that was trying to be a little less serious. I've never seen that movie, but I would totally imagine you have way more serious elements and emotional elements like a Euphoria than you do in American Pie. But the, yes, but I, I, I don't – again, th- those are more like, oh, God, middle school kids. So yes, I don't yeah. know. They're not teenagers. Like the closest like thing I could say that's similar to American Pie would be super bad. Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And that's um, that's what, late 2000s? Yeah, that's like 2007. So okay. it's like what? Only like six years removed from this. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the thing is that like Hollywood – I, I don't know what the decision-making is because like I think Rob and I talked about this maybe like a year ago. Like, oh god, it's – it's. I think it's the two. It's one of the girls from that movie Booksmart, the one that like uh, uh, Olivia Wilde directed. Okay, and it's called like Unpregnant, where like they go on a road trip for oh. her to get like an abortion. Yeah, yeah, and like all these hijinks, hijinks and misadventures happen, <laughs> and it ends in one of the most like factually incorrect depictions of abortion possible. To the point where like it's almost like like imagine the like stars like the Starscape sequence from two thousand one, <laughs> but imagine that but it being an abortion clinic. <laughs> Like it's like it's 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 surreal. And I'm like, and I find it I find it abhorrent and disgusting on every level imaginable, um, for a multitude of reasons, uh, beyond just the social paradigm. But like that's your equivalent now of the teen sex comedy. Sure. Like, and I even and then even like there's like what did you ever see that movie directed by uh, our favorite actor from Promising Young Woman, Eighth Grade, Bo Burnham's? Did you ever see that? No, no, I did not. Okay, like there's a sequence in that where like the the titular eighth grade girl is like she has a crush on a boy and she like writes him a note or something. They're, they're talking during like a movie in like class, and she and he's like, "Are you good at blowjobs?" And she's like, "Like she's like, yeah, I give the best like." I do the best jobs. And it's like, and it's like, it's not funny. It's just yeah, what awkward. The fuck is like, that? <laughs> yeah. Like, like, that's what I mean. though. Is it like, but like, I get with, like, cause for the most part, it's a good movie. It does a great job of just like replicating the experience of being that sort of age, just how awkward everything is. Mm-hmm. But like, there's no comedy. It's just like, whereas the awkwardness stems from the comedy in the American pie films, comedy is the, the bedrock. With all this other stuff, it's either, the bedrock is either the social message or the awkwardness. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Absolutely. The, the, the comedy is almost like a, like a second or third thought. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good point. And I think, you know, that's um, definitely you – know, that gets at exactly the idea of, you know, the, the you know, d- decline of these types of movies. You know, like you said, we're never going to get another American Pie type thing again. Um, We're not going to get another Porky's or Kentucky yeah. Fried movie. Yep, absolutely. Um, I think of in the same category a um, Revenge of the Nerds, a movie I was very fond of when I was younger. <laughs> but no, I think that's just where like my deep-seated appreciation 
for like these these two like at least this franchise comes from is that it, it sure. tried it tried yeah. in a way that nothing tries anymore absolutely absolutely and i think that's a good way to put it and you know maybe you know you need that foundation of comedy to get like maybe that's why you know the things that are in this category or this genre that come out more modern don't hit as well as like an american pie because you need that foundation of comedy to to be able to actually express things in a funny way like one of the lines in the first movie that i loved that i think is a, a perfect example of this is you know natasha leone and tara reed are talking to each other and they're talking about like not getting orgasms and natasha leone says something like you've never double clicked your mouse and it's like that's I thought I, I laughed so hard. Yeah, I, I thought, thought that, that was, was a the wonderful thing line. But you know, if you if if you don't have that, like you said, bedrock of comedy, if it's more the social message or the awkwardness, then I think you're immediately restricting yourself from writing things like that that will land that well. Like I think if you put something like that in Euphoria, it comes off as like more dumb than it really does as like a, a huge laugh line. You know what I mean? But that I, I I agree with that though. But I also even though this is a film about like teenagers like teenage boys wanting to have sex i don't think sex is as much as a focal point as it is in, like in these other shows like i think mm. it's fair to say that sex is more of a focal point in euphoria than sure. it is in american in the american pie films yeah you know it is it is really just like the, the motivation uh, sex is the motivation for our characters in the american pie films but more of the comedy comes from the interactions they have based on what they do because of those motivations, where, you're right, Euphoria, you know, once again, uh, our favorite Sydney Sweeney of scene I've mentioned <laughs> so many times is when she's sitting topless on a bed crying while a man yells at her. Like, that, that is totally sex-driven. Like, the guy is saying, like, who do you think you are? You're boring. If anybody talks to you and you don't think they want to have sex with you, you're boring, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> have we ever inserted that clip into the podcast before? I, I think I've done a few times. <laughs> have you? Okay, I wasn't yeah. sure if that's ever... Because, like, we've referenced that a lot, but I don't know if it's ever actually been inserted into the podcast. I think there's a few times where I, I've had to explain that scene to Ben, and I, then I, I will just put the clip okay. in as well. <laughs> Good, good. We need more of that. <laughs> Who the fuck do you think you are? What? Well, this is literally the second time you've done this to me. So if we're not going to fuck, then what are we doing? Are you being serious? You think I'm here because I'm interested in you? And what you have to say or what you think about things is if you're so fucking interesting? Fuck, are you dumb? You came on to me, remember? And ever since then, you show up, you lead me on, and then you whine about your fucking boyfriend. Like, every time you start talking, I think to myself, who the fuck does this girl think she is? You are so fucking boring. Hey, I'm gonna be honest with you because no one else will. Any guy who says he's interested in you beyond just fucking you is full of shit. So good luck with your boyfriend. Oh. You're crying now. What else is new? Oh God! Because even like Euphoria, like eventually, like remember that? Like we, like we would like. Well, I was watching it. You were hate watching it. Yes. And and like eventually, that even just like devolved into like nothing. Because even like remember oh, like yeah. Sydney Sweeney gets really boring by the end in the first season. Like where she's yep. like she gets pregnant, she has an abortion. That's it. And it's like okay, that that's it. That's it. And it's yeah, like that show goes, like, goes so downhill after the carnival episode. And I remember us like being so angry at the finale. Like the, the season one finale ends with a musical number and the reveal that the sweatshirt Zendaya has been wearing the whole series was her dad's. And it's just like, that's fucking it. That's all they're giving us. <laughs> yeah, that's 
Yeah. Oh God. Um, but yes, getting back to the American Pie films, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, like I said, like uh, I, I, I don't, I, I hate it when we talk about comedies and it just the conversation eventually just like ends up in us like talking about highlights. Sure, sure. So, are there any particular moments that come to your mind, like as in like stuff that you enjoyed, you didn't like? Or just scenes that just deserve some level of highlight. Oh, sure. I, I think, you know, to tie some of them together, because a lot of the ones I want to mention all relate to one character, um, someone who we've mentioned already, and we've said also in the past that I really like seeing him in anything. Uh, Freddy from Freddy Got Fingered, Eddie K. Thomas. He's one of my favorite characters in these movies because of, like, I mentioned the affect that he puts on. It's a little weird in the second movie when he does all, like, the um, the Asian-inspired cultural stuff and things like that. But in that first movie, like, the way that he plays some of the, um, like, the, the you know, faux suaveness, like, for some reason, I, I was just losing it at the end of the first movie when, you know, he's sitting down with Stifler's mom, and, you know, it kind of cuts back from him and her to some other people, whatever they're doing in the party, probably, you know, like, Tara Reid and, and stuff like that. But there's just, like, a cut back to Eddie K. Thomas, and it's, like, in media res, like, we're just hearing the end of the joke, and he goes, so I said, very obviously... This is a Piera de la Forchesca. And I don't know why I lost my mind at that line. <laughs> but, like, his whole character of that exactly, of, you know, the, um, the like I said, the faux suave, I thought that came across as, as really enjoyable. Of course, you know, the, um, the movie kind of tampers it down when, you know, the, um, he gets given X-lax by Stifler in, you know, a, a very toilet humor-based joke, which is never my favorite thing. But I, I really dug, you know, a, a lot of his stuff. Even in the second movie, when he thinks Stifler's mom is coming to the um, the lake house, and he, like, goes upstairs to, to change, as we learn, and he it re- revealed that it's Stifler's brother, he comes back down, and as he's walking down the stairs, he says something like, Gentlemen, why is there so much noise on this special day? And he's wearing this kimono, <laughs> and I'm like, this is just ridiculous. And I, I thought that was a lot of fun. <laughs> well, even, like, I guess, again, like... like <sighs> There's a level of subtlety, too, with some of the characters, and specifically him. Because, like, we see him, like, at Stifler's house, like, at the party at the very beginning. He's going through, like, the room where he, like, met the mother. Yeah. And, and, like, he sees, like, the Tantra book, and he, like, picks it off. And we see, like, Stifler just walk in. He's like, what the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> and it's like, get out! Get out! Like, there's, like, I don't know. There's, like, a level of just, like, visceralness to, like... Sean William Scott's portrayal of, of Stifler. Absolutely. Like, you, you can very easily believe he's just kind of like this, like, dumb meathead. But, like, you have that. And then, like, throughout the entire film, like, Finch's subplot, like you said, is him, like, learning about this. Him, like, like, l- like learning all these, like, what, tan- tantra, tantra, yeah, whatever it is, yeah. uh, techniques. At one point, we see him, like, watering the ficus. <laughs> and he's just like, and he's like, oh. Uh, and like we cut back to everybody else at like the breakfast table and they're just like watching him and they're like Finch and Stifler's like Finch I don't know what you're doing but stay the fuck away from that ficus that's a jizz free ficus yes (laughs) (laughs) oh god and like even like every single time the phone rings and like it's alluded to being Stifler's mom and like Finch inquires he's like eat shit shit brick (laughs) yeah also you know on uh, Finch's character one of the tiny lines in this movie that I, I thoroughly enjoyed was when they're doing the um the Nadia cast, the Nadia webcast, 
And when Nadia starts to undress, it cuts to, like, Finch and I think Kevin watching her her Mm. on the computer. And he says, man, she takes her vitamins. And I'm like, that's (laughs) such a weird thing to say about anybody. Like, because it's so, it's so, like, vague. Like, you know, we could say that about Arnold Schwarzenegger. Be like, man, he takes his vitamins. Like, it's just the weirdest thing. (laughs) But that's the thing where, like, I give the movie credit for being clever. Yeah, yeah. When you're having an attractive woman undress and disrobe. It would be so easy to, for like a male character to be written. It's like I can't wait to like squeeze her tatas or yeah, yeah. or just like anything like that. And that is a clever line. It conveys the same thing, but it's not raunchy. Yeah, and I, I think, I think it that's adds what, and, to what we were saying before about how when the comedy's the bedrock, you can have a line that vague and that like basic and make it land that well. Exactly. And I think that's where this film doesn't get the credit for being like everyone thinks of American Pie and they automatically go to like Shan Elizabeth getting like naked. Yes. And it's like, yeah, but like even in 1999, if you wanted to see boobs, you didn't have to go see this movie. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and so like and, I, and that's why I, like, that's why I think it's so unfair because like, I, was, I was reading a bunch of stuff about the first film. Like almost all of it is like 20 year later retrospectives from a couple of years ago about like her being like, would you do it now? Like, 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 ugh. And she's like, yeah, like the movie wouldn't get made now. But at the same time, they're like, it made my career. Yep. So she's yep. like, I can't forsake it. And I'm like, and I'm like, thank you. Like, unlikely voice of reason, Shan Elizabeth. Um, Speaking of her, you know, um, of Nadia's character, like I mentioned earlier on, it is it is very strange to me that, you know, in the first movie, she um, just she needs to change. I get that, you know. So she has a room to change in. They set up the webcam. This seems, you know, very, you know, believable. But then when she starts, you know, looking at herself in the mirror, she starts finding the like the dirty magazines. She starts masturbating and stuff like that. I'm like, this is kind of ridiculous. But once again, like we've been saying, it doesn't matter. It just needs to happen. So we get, you know, this whole embarrassing moment for Jim and stuff like that. What I found a little crazier was in the follow-up scene. You know, when Jim's getting made fun of at school. And then he meets up with the the rest of the gang. The they have a line that says something like, "Nadia's sponsors found out that she did this, and they sent her back home." And I'm like, "That seems crazy to me." I mean, I don't know the inner workings of exchange student status, but I was just like, "It it it was she was being filmed and broadcast against her will. Like it, that's not her fault." <laughs> but again, it goes back to like, okay. Let's think back to like 1999. Sure. Nobody, like the amount of people who had like webcams in 1999, <laughs> yeah. like on a consumer level, was probably like you'd be lucky you could fill a phone booth with them. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I did find that very um, ahead of its time for, for a 1999 movie, you know, having the Jimmy sent the email to the wrong group. It went out to everybody in the school, you know, that type of thing. And I'm like, do they need a webcam for school? Why would everybody have one? <laughs> but I love the fact too that like there's audio, like, like everybody can hear the audio yes. of the radio. Yeah. You know, there's not a microphone anywhere. <laughs> like I, that sort of stuff. I'm like, okay, I, I, who cares? Like that's not the point. You just have to sometimes just go with this, the flow of the movie. Yeah, exactly. And also in that scene, um, the the Nadia cast scene in the first movie, one of the the groups of people watching it is the band Blink-182. <laughs> like when that scene started, because that's something I had never heard of about this movie. And, you know, this is a very famous scene. And I think, you know, the whole, you know, Nadia cast is you don't think of who's watching it. You think of what's going on. You think of, you know, Nadia, stuff like that. When this happened, I was like, is this Blink-182? And it's like the full Blink-182 band reacting to what's going on. I'm like, this is unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, it's it, like I said, there's there's so much going on. 
Yes. Like, like it's like that's where again, not to go back to our favorite punching bag, but Euphoria is that like every time there's a sequence in that it's devoted to one thing. There's one theme. There's one point to every sequence. Yes. And with this, there's there's it's multi layered. It might not be the most like like it might not be good lord like rings on a tree level of layers. But, like it's there's enough going on. That like you're even like the fact you have like the other guys they have a little monkey and the monkey's reacting to all this. Even that is like it's another layer. It's not super duper highbrow, mm-hmm. but it's some. It's just another piece of the puzzle. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, uh, the, a piece of the puzzle is a good way to put it for sure. Um, that that was it's just the <laughs> it works. It's kind of like even though I didn't enjoy this as much, you know, it, it makes total sense what you're saying that you know. It, it just the script needs to know it knows where it's going and gets there and it's just like yeah forget about it you know <laughs> well, okay it, uh, this is a question i have for you though because like at one point again we see nadia she takes out the dirty magazines and like finch is like oh she reads it for the articles oh, yes, then we yes. and then we like even that is a great moment but then after that we see her and she's like getting aroused to it and it's just like like is like at that point the scene is just so far-fetched but it doesn't like did that take you out of it at that point or like are you along for the ride oh i'm just along for the ride you know um uh, once you know she's like looking at herself in the mirror and you know like just taking time with this i'm just like i guess whatever you know it's like the moments i always mention in movies when they they establish to the audience that they're just throwing away physics like by the time she's reading the dirty magazines and starts masturbating i'm just like okay no i'm fine i get it <laughs> yeah and i think that is something that a movie has to do very, very, like, subconsciously. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. For a movie to make you kind of just throw out your, like, suspend, like, throw out, like, your disbelief, you can't do that intentionally. Definitely. Like, that's just, that's just movie-making magic. And that's where, like, again, I got to give this film, give both of the films probably more the first one than the second one, that level of, like, credit. Because you can't do, like, it's almost impossible to do that. Yep, I'm with you. I'm with you for sure. Because even like that, like again, obviously the uh, Nadia like disrobing scene is attempted to be emulated in the second one with the lesbian sequence. Yep. Yep. And even that 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 moment, even though it's a fun sequence to like watch, like these very very heterosexual men have to like embrace some level of just what. Oh God, groping of one another. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> Intimacy. It, it, yeah, it feels it feels infinitely more contrived. Even though oh, I think mm-hmm. it works, it feels much more contrived than the Nadia sequence. Definitely, definitely. And that's the thing. So, like, uh, like uh, that's. Uh, I don't want to call these films highbrow, but they seem like there's got to be a word for. I don't want to say clever either. What's like a lesser version of clever? Hmm. Oh, that's a that's a good a good point. What's a less a like? <laughs> I, I, I guess for lack of a better word, clever. Like yeah, there is a cleverness yeah. to all this. I, and I would I would agree with that. That the way that they're they're, they're pulling it off, refined, re, a, mm. a, a tad more refined than your typical like. Sure. Like, I don't know if you were to look at like again like think of all the other teen sex comedies out there that came like before and after this. I would definitely say this is more refined than like super bad. Oh, I would agree with that as well, because Superbad is, has so much chaos going on in it. Exactly, and I think that's and that's even the same can be said for Euphoria. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that even what happened too with Generation Plus Sign Ion <laughs> is that like like I think I told Rob like like the like oh god the the oh god the the prologue for every single one of those episodes is like a woman giving birth like oh, in a mall bathroom. Yeah, yeah. And that is chaos. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. And yes, and yes, probably the most chaotic moment we have in this movie 
is the lesbian sequence because that's when our protagonists are kind of turned on their heel. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm also even thinking now back to, um, you know, much earlier in the fort year, not exactly the same genre, but but somewhat, you know, sex inspired, loosely maybe. Um, Saving Silverman, and that movie is also incredibly chaotic because I think more of the the plot machinations of kidnapping a woman, you know, is inherently chaotic. But, but yeah, it's in that. I guess I'm also thinking, you know, Jason Biggs as well with that. Oh God, Jason Biggs. Okay, can we talk about how in the first movie, and this what really like this is one of those things that like it's a nitpick, but it just drove me insane that like whoever was in charge of lighting the first film did not know how to light these people. Oh my God, yes. One of my notes at the one, it's like my third. It's my literal third note on the first movie what in the hell is this ungodly terrible lighting in stifler's party <laughs> it's not just stifler's party it's like the entire like oh no oh, you're God. right but i mean that's where like it the first really stood out to of the me film. yeah yeah i'm with you because like every single time we see any of the main guys they look flushed and sweaty <laughs> sure <laughs> and like none of the women actors look like actresses look that way and i'm just like what what was happening like did they, did they not know like was the makeup applied wrong was was it lit wrong? It's just like Jason Biggs just looks like like he is on like the verge of just like <laughs> like breaking down from exhaustion. Yes, yes, a hundred percent. I'm totally with you. Yeah, that was that was uh, just that was just so strange. And then and then in contrast to that, uh, you know, along the same lines, but in in the opposite direction, the big lacrosse game at the end that you know Chris Klein runs away to go to the the comp- singing competition for when after like you know. There's a scene of them playing lacrosse, and I think, you know, Chris Klein misses or something like that, and then he's on the bench afterwards. He looks pristine. He looks like he hasn't been exercising in the slightest. <laughs> no. Yeah, there's, there's some stuff like that where, like, I get it. This was, like, like low budget, like $10 million, especially for a studio film. But, like, yeah, some of that stuff is just kind of like, ugh. Yeah, at least throw it's some like, water uh, on him or something, you know? <laughs> I know. It's just – it was just – I, it, that is the sort of stuff I found jarring. Sure, I'm willing I'm to forgive you. a lot. That part, I'm just like, it just takes me out of it. Like, even this couple parts, even like Jason Biggs's hair. Like, I hate Jason Biggs's hair. <laughs> like, this is the weirdest complaint to make about like a movie and an actor. But I hate his hair. Okay, okay. Like, I as I was watching this, all I kept thinking of was that moment from Seinfeld where George gets like the wig or the hairpiece, <laughs> and Elaine just grips it off of his head. Like, I hate this thing. <laughs> okay, and yeah. Chucks it out the window. <laughs> That's all I want to do to Jason Biggs throughout both of these movies. I, okay. I, I, a weird complaint. And I'm willing to just I can see that right out the gate, but uh, I hate his hair. Okay, I don't, I don't think I feel that way, but I, I may, might be because, you know, whenever you see Jason Biggs, that's just what his hair looks like, I guess, because of the success from this movie. Because I, I think it looks kind of the same in Saving Silverman, unless they're, I don't know, does he ever get into a costume for the, what, the Billy Diamond stuff or anything like that? I don't, I don't remember exactly. Uh, I want to repress know. that he movie. Might, he, he might have a wig. Oh, God. Okay, one thing I will give, Rob, say what you will about Saving Silverman it does have Arlie Ermey. Like, I think it's fair to say, <laughs> yes. if you take Arlie Ermey and put him into any movie, Arlie Ermey's the best part. Oh, 100%. Of course, the great Arlie Ermey. Absolutely. <laughs> Once again, fascinating moment in Cinemati's uh, canon. We've discussed two Arlie Ermey movies, Saving Silverman and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre <laughs> reboot, yet we have not discussed his most famous role in Full Metal Jacket. <laughs> Another one, one day. Instance, yeah. <laughs> one day. And fascinating how we just kind of uh, we talk about the truly important films on cinema. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So I, I mean, I think we touched on it briefly before, but I, I did have a question for you about um, 
uh, Stifler's brother, who of course appears in both films. Well, I, the question is about his appearance in the second film, but the one in the first movie at the end in like the prom night after party, um, when you know Tara Reid and and Kevin's character are going into the room and the little brother pops out of the closet and says, you guys are going to fuck. You guys are going to fuck, aren't you? Fuckers! 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 Out. Oh, come on. (laughs) Get out. Oh, man. This totally (laughs) gave me vibes of elves. Remember the little brother from elves where he's like, you've got big tits and I'm going to tell everybody I saw them. I'm your sister. (laughs) I'm your fucking sister! Yeah, and you've got fucking big tits, and I'm gonna tell everybody I saw them. I got hardcore elves vibes from that, that scene. But in the second movie, do you know how old he's supposed to be? That's what I couldn't get a like, handle on. <laughs> he's supposed to be, like I think, like 13. Like in the, like 13, Okay, like starting 14. puberty type of thing? Oh yeah, because like you remember, like see him at you see him at the party going around. Yeah, and he yeah. like makes like one he makes some sort of like suggestive comment, and like it just doesn't make sense. It's yes. like oh, this is this is someone who doesn't understand the uh, the dynamics of human pair bonding, making this comment. Definitely, I don't know. I just was like, I don't know how old this kid's supposed to be, and it's making me feel weird. Because <laughs> even when he <laughs> shows up, he's like. They're like, Stifler, what's your younger brother doing here? And he's like, pussy. And the characters are like, you know, take a number. And I'm just like, whoa, like this kid, I don't want to hear this kid saying these things. I did find that funny, though, because even when they had their big like beach party in the second one and like we have him and he's just going around like this awkwardly hitting on women. Yeah. And it's, it's like I, I find that amusing like that. It's, it's goofy. <laughs> like it's I, I don't know if it's amusing, but it's goofy. I'm just like I'm just like cackling at it. Sure. And Stifler, sure. And Stifler just like locks him outside of the house. It's like you're yeah. on cop patrol. Yeah. But Steve. <laughs> yeah, that was that was just very, very strange to me. And I guess, you know, talking about things that seem strange, but not like movie breaking or anything like we've been saying. What's the deal with or maybe I, I didn't fully understand it. Like, once again, it might be like just a script device or a plot device that just the movie needs to get through it. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, it's one of my least favorite things. I don't fully understand Mina Suvari's anger at Chris Klein. After, you know, they, they meet at the lacrosse or they see each other at the lacrosse game because, you know, we get to see her watching him with the other lacrosse players and Stifler's there doing, you know, incredibly sexual, you know, pantomimes and stuff like that. And Mina Suvari gets angry at this. And Chris Klein, he's not doing any of that stuff. He looks like he's looking at – he's like brushing off Stifler with disdain and things like that. I didn't fully get why Mina Suvari was angry, but like I said, it could just be, oh, we need this little rift in their relationship. Like that's the point of the movie that we're at, right? Uh, you're not wrong, but I think maybe giving a layer of context that the movie kind of glosses over is that like in the very, very beginning part of the movie – like we have Stifler like run up to like Oz and be like, "Yo, Nova!" I think his reputation is at that point that he is a Casanova, even though it's kind of like it's hollow. Oh, sure. And so he sure. might, so he might, ha- especially being a lacrosse player, and I think he even says like a football player. He probably has a reputation of being like again, 
having that bravado like oh i could just every woman's a notch in my belt so and, and we even have that with like nina savari when she talks to like the other people in the acapella group and she's like i don't like i don't get it he's just here for like like for us mm-hmm. and like she def- so like i think she's leery of him in that sort of behavior just kind of like is like oh she thinks that it's giving away his his intentions even though that's not the case Sure. No, that's that's a good point because now he's skeptical of him. Yeah, yeah, and and that makes perfect sense because I I was kind of forgetting that scene where earlier I think their first scene of dialogue together is that you know he's like I really like music because it's like you know it lets me express myself instead of just scoring a goal or something like that, and and th- that's when they have their like she start to come around to him. So okay, that that makes more sense. But in the moment when I was watching it, she gets all pissed off at Chris Klein. I'm like Chris Klein looks angry with Stifler. Like that wouldn't. It didn't, you know, break the movie, like I said, but it just made me think I was like, bitch, calm down. <laughs> also, I don't think I mentioned this when we did Sugar and Spice uh, with also with Mina Suvari. She kind of looks like a fish to me. Do you get fish vibes from Mina Suvari at all? <laughs> a little bit. I, I could see where you would make that yeah, uh, observation. For some reason, I was getting a little bit of fish vibes, and I wanted to throw that out there to to tie this into another one of the lines that absolutely had me dying in the first movie. Um, the scene where Casey Affleck appears, who's in both movies for the same scene, but in the first one, you know, Kevin calls his brother, played by Casey Affleck. Casey Affleck is at, like, a sushi bar, and Kevin says something to him while they're on the phone, like, you know, how do I, how do I bring Tara Reid to orgasm? And it cuts to Casey Affleck, who's sitting next to someone at the sushi, at the sushi bar, and Casey Affleck says to the other guy, try the spicy tuna hand roll. And Kevin goes, what? How do you do that? <laughs> That got me so hard for some reason. I was just like, you're killing me, movie. Like, that, it's one of those, another thing. It's such a basic joke that is so vague in general, but it works because they've laid the groundwork of the comedy. <laughs> I've always found it funny ever since, like, all of Casey Affleck's, like, sexual harassment scandals. Sure. That he's the person that Kevin goes to for sexual <laughs> advice. <laughs> I found that just fascinating. Like, oh god, I'm just like I, I always laugh at that time. He, I, I always forget that Casey Affleck is in these movies. Yes, every I single time I that, watch yeah. them, <laughs> and I'm just like, I just can't help but laugh that like he's like the the mentor. So I, I guess uh, speaking of that, in the first movie, you know, um, Casey Affleck sends Kevin to the the hidden book in the library that shows him like sex positions and what the the tongue tornado I think it's called, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and. Do you know, in one of the direct-to-video sequels, is this the titular Book of Love? Because I've never seen it, but I know there is American Pie colon the Book of Love. Is this the Book of Love, or is it a different book? Do you know? Uh, I didn't do my research. (laughs) It's funny you mention that, because at one point I could have sworn that I had that same question when I heard that was going to be like, like, whenever that movie came out like 10 years ago. Yeah. I could have swore that I had that same question. I've never looked into it because I don't care that much. Exactly. But I, I, if I remember, I don't think they're related. Mm, that's okay. That kind of bums me out. I, I would have liked to. Oh God. Okay. Real. I, I tried to see if I get a quick answer to this. The you first, are not going to the first line of the plot synopsis on Wikipedia for the Book of Love is: In East Great Falls, Michigan, eleven years after the events of the first film, high schooler Rob masturbates with a peanut butter sandwich. Period. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I don't know. That was one th- thought I had because I was like, oh, uh, like there's this book that he finds, Book of Love. And also on that book, I thought it was going to be a bigger part of the movie after it got introduced. Like he was going to – Kevin was going to share it with the whole gang and it was going to become, you know, some type of um, 
I, I, I can't think of a good example, but, you know, that's a maybe not a, a super cliche, but that's a trope in storytelling where somebody finds the book from generations previously and, and you know, they, they use it to their advantage. And the only fucking example for some reason I can think of is the Half-Blood Prince, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if Harry Potter, Harry Potter found the... The Book of Love. <laughs> oh yeah. Harry Potter and the Book of Love. <laughs> now that's a different movie. <laughs> uh, yes, absolutely. So, so yeah, that that whole Book of Love thing. And I, I guess I don't know if I, I did want to talk about because I, I've never seen any of these other American Pie movies. I think I might have caught bits and bits and pieces of them. You know, maybe if it was on TV, or maybe if it, you know. Like, I feel like in college, these would be Netflix things that somebody would have on in the background, and I've seen, like, a scene or something like that. Did you know that the most recent one came out in 2020 and is called American Pie Presents Girls Rules, and it's a more female-oriented version? <sighs> Uh-oh. <laughs> I did not, but, like, I'm not, I'm not particularly fond of that either. No, I, I have no, um, you know, really desire to, to see it at all, and I don't think I'll watch any of these other movies for a very long time. But I just had to point out, because I, I wanted to learn a little bit more about it, because it was so recent. It came out in October, um, straight to, you know, streaming, I would imagine. I have to mention some of the cast members, because, of course, all the main people are just goddamn unknowns, you know, that, that have been in a few other things, TV, stuff like that. But here's the thing. If you run down the cast list, it's kind of insane that you get to... Danny, Danny Trejo, 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 Barry Bostwick, and Danny DeVito. <laughs> oh, How boy. crazy is that? <laughs> okay, this is the first review on IMDb. Okay. <laughs> Not American Pie, forced feminism, but then it shows girls treating a guy like me. <laughs> okay, first, I know this is, I'm not going to like this because under the sex and nudity for parents' guide, it says mild. Oh. Oh. If anything, this is the movie that they should have went full-on, like, male nudity with, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Oh, God. Okay, yeah. So that, that – I just had to point that out because when I saw that cast list, I was like, Jesus. Like, how did they – you know, were they just, like – Danny Trejo, like, walked into the wrong room and they were like, here, just, just do a scene, you know? <laughs> I like to imagine it's the same, like, casting method that happened for Predators where it was like in the script it says a actor that looks like Danny Trejo and Danny Trejo just showed up and was like I'm a guy who looks like Danny Trejo. Absolutely. Oh man, Rob. Sex and nudity. A character climbs over a fence, but her panties get stuck and she falls. Her entire buttocks is shown on screen for several Whoa. seconds. I can't handle that. I cannot. I cannot I, I, no. handle that. <laughs> Here, here's some of the trivia for this movie. Producers initially won male nudity in the movie during pre-production. Yeah. And director Mike Elliott even included showing some male nudity in one of the scenes, though it was prosthetic. But it was ultimately decided to cut from the final cut. This makes it the first American Pie movie out of all the theatrical releases to have no male nudity. Yet this is yet this is the progressive movie. <laughs> Like, I, I, that's what I mean. It's like it has no male nudity, but it's the progressive movie. It's like, okay, like, once again, you're just making a movie to check a box. You're not doing it for any reason. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. The first and only American Pie film not to have Eugene Levy in it. I, that is the other thing that I saw that interested me about it because if you go to, like, the um, like the, the breakdown of the cast for all the American Pie movies, you can, like, see that Eugene Levy has a huge amount in all of them. And then the last one is just blank. And it's like, well, fuck, what are they, why, why, what are they doing? 
Okay, Leo, like this. In an interview with Yahoo Entertainment, Girls Rules director Mike Elliott admitted that the film is a, quote, pretty innocent picture. Why Why make them – why call it American Pie then? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's like, oh my god, just call it Girls Rule and put it on Netflix. It will yep. be heralded as like revelatory by the media. <laughs> Oh, 100%. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I get, have you, um, I know you mentioned a few of them, but have you seen, like, the, like, you mentioned Bandcamp. Have you seen the spinoffs, like the, um, like, the Naked Mile, the Book of Love? Have you ever watched any of those? I watched part of the Naked Mile, and I kind of just gave up, I think, like, 15 minutes into it. One's called Beta House. I don't think I've even heard of that one. <laughs> okay, if you want to know what a true American Pie movie is, Sex and Nudity severe <laughs> yes i mean that's kind of you know the the gist of of you know the that's what gets the butts into seats type of thing american reunion like that's i still even though like i don't care i still kind of want to see that okay okay sex and nudity a woman in heavily implies a lesbian sexual encounter with another woman during their time at bed camp <gasps> <laughs> i'm just clutching those pearls right now rob uh i i realize that uh I, we should not be talking about this this a- any of these types of movies on this podcast because everybody knows here we are proper boys <laughs> okay I, I love this description you're gonna love this this is for uh american reunion a man puts his arm around a woman while in a movie theater, and the woman moves her head toward his crotch and performs oral sex on him. <laughs> the man moans rhythmically until he climaxes, and then parenthetical it says, other people in the theater watch and listen. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's almost as if, like, oh my god, like that's great. You describing that scene actually reminded me of something I think we've talked about briefly. I think it was off mic, though. But in this ter- same terms of, um, you know, sex, teen sex comedy, I think, you know, in the, the early 2010s, we did get the um, the to-do list, right? That's what it's called with Aubrey Plaza, and she has to do all the sexual oh, acts. God. That yeah. might be the last true one of these that we have, because I, I saw that movie in theaters. I, I, I want to state that, that my girlfriend at the time really wanted to see that movie, and we watched it. But that was very, very comedically inclined. I don't. I didn't love it. I think it might have been just because I don't really gravitate towards these types of movies. But I remember there was tons of jokes that I was laughing at, and the reason, I guess, to to explain to Zach and our audience that I remembered that movie after you described the um, the movie theater fellatio scene that you just did. That happens in the to do list where you know Aubrey Plaza. One of the things she has to do is give somebody head, and she decides to do it in a movie theater with this dude, and she like you see her start to like unzip his pants and go down on him, and she like freaks out and runs out into the lobby and you don't know why and then she gets on her cell phone she calls her friend and she goes he's he's uncircumcised what do, what do i do with this <laughs> i remembered that scene for some reason <laughs> that has moderate sex and nudity rob i don't think there was a lot of nudity that was more of like the sex talk and stuff like that mm, um, yeah and also a fantastic joke from bill Hader. It has nothing to do with the movie, but there's a point where he says, why did Eddie Vedder cross the road? And I think the person he's with is like, dude, shut up. We're doing something else right now. And Bill Hader goes, to get to the other side. And I was, I fucking lost it. Like me, only person laughing in the theater hilariously at that joke. (laughs) Take your time. Why don't you go talk to her instead of being a little grumpy Gus? I am not a grumpy Gus. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. You want to hear it, Riddle? Why did Eddie Vedder cross the road? Why? To get to the other side! Hey, hey, hey! Jervis Pope! Who's this? Like, oh, in parentheses, God. other people listen and watch. 
<laughs> that can become our new joke in parenthetical. Other people watch and listen. <laughs> I kind of really like that, yeah. <laughs> God damn it, Rob. God damn it. Oh, God. Now I, I love that I get to f- try and find that clip for that joke because it fucking kills me, man. <laughs> that's the dumbest damn – like that's the ju- that's the thing that came to mind in like that, what, episode – 15 or 16 of Twin Peaks The Return when Eddie Vedder plays at the Bang Bang Bar. Like, that's what I think of when I think of Eddie Vedder. That Bill Hader joke. (laughs) (sighs) Rob, do you have the Girls Rule movie or American Reunion in your your set? Uh, I'm pretty sure I have them all except Girls Rules. Oh, jeez, Rob. Um... So, so I, I don't think I'm going to watch them, but I, I, I have them. At least I, I have files that are titled those things. They might be different as we, we have to, you know, play by the uh, thriller ad astra rules. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, okay. So I'm trying to think. Is there anything else left to discuss when it comes to these movies? Well, I, I think you know one of the things that the the big things from this movie, like the the cultural osmosis. Of course, he fucks the pie. He sure he he fucks the pie. We get it. The other one is the the uh, w- this one time at band camp. I, I feel like you know that has always been had so much cultural power. You know when I was going when we were going through high school, and then when I even went to college. You know, actually knowing a lot of people in the marching band at college, I think that probably made it stick out to me a lot more. One of the things that I I wanted to see if you knew, do you think that still is like culturally present today? And I I was thinking where it's like you know there's certain things that I hear my students talk about you know in in college. And and it's like, oh, man, that's still around. You know, that's that has some cultural presence, that type of stuff. I I, I just wanted to know if, if you had any thought, like, do you think that people have forgotten the this one time at Bandcamp, you know, or do you think that stuck around? Because that was huge back in, you know, like the the mid 2000s and when we were in high school and stuff like that. Uh, it probably still exists but nowhere near to the like prevalency as it once did okay okay because i would imagine like if you watch something i don't know i'm thinking like maybe an an afi or maybe something a little less important (laughs) uh, like uh, a vh1 like uh, the vh1 best comedies or like an etv best comedies they're gonna do american pie and they're gonna cite you know allison hannigan saying this one time at band camp i stuck a flute up my pussy so are we gonna screw soon because i'm getting kind of antsy like i would imagine that would exist on one of those types of lists that's how big it was i think it's possible um i don't it's interesting you mentioned the idea of it like showing up i on, love like, the 90s list. it would totally be on i love the 90s when they got to 99 that like is... that clip would 100 percent be in there rob vh1 doesn't exist anymore i think you can find those in very bad quality on youtube and i might do some research <laughs> <laughs> uh, um i don't know like it's interesting you mentioned the idea of like what like american pies places in like pop culture right now mm-hmm. based on what i was reading from like shannon elizabeth interviews from like two years ago there's a very real possibility that that not that these films are canceled but their viewing might be discouraged sure i i so you yeah so yeah. you would not see anything from these films being highlighted in a positive manner okay that's 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 fair I, I guess on that topic, though, you know, like we've talked about with other movies in the Fort Year, specifically these comedies, when, you know, like like Rat Race with some of its gay panic, Saving Silverman with its gay panic, it's a lot of those jokes that feel very of the era of the early 2000s, and you're just like, yeah, you know, this isn't really funny today, or it wouldn't be accepted today. I have to say, kind of thinking about it right now in the moment, American Pie, I don't think has a lot of those issues. 
I don't think, you know, maybe in the second one where, you know, Jim and Stifler are, like, having issues kissing and stuff like that, you might be like, oh, a little gay panic, but I think that's not the point of the scene, whereas in, like, you know, Cuba Gooding Jr. and Rat Race, that's just, like, full-on gay panic, and, of course, saving Silverman. American Pie seems to be a little a little tamer in that sense, but I agree with you that they'd find something to, to discourage viewing this movie for. Well, I, I do think that the whole lesbian sequence in the second film is that level of like, Oh, like, like we're not gay. We're not gay. Like we're not going to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, but it it ends with Stifler going, well, let's do it. Like, give me a handy. Like, let's do this guys. Let's have a fivesome, you know? <laughs> sure. But remember the ultimate sequence, the sequence ends with, with uh, Eddie K. Thomas just out, yeah. running. Yeah. But you do have the thing at the end too with Stifler where the little brother brings them both in. He's like, I'll do anything. I'll suck every guy's dick in here. Yes. Like, I'm comfortable. Yes. And so like, so you do have that though. But I think once again, it's the, uh, what's, what's the word? Um, you're objectifying women. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that, that's the thing. Ah, you're objectifying yeah. women. Remember the protagonists are men. And they want to have sex. Inherently, it is evil. Fair, fair. Yes. And, and what's, con- and what's full disclosure? Pa- Zach and I were proper boys. No sex ever. <laughs> exactly. We respect women. We're like, uh, okay. What was that joke from the other guys? Where it's um, what was it? Well, one of Will Ferrell's like ex girlfriends. It's like the guy who looks like Zach Galifianakis, but it's not Zach Galifianakis. Oh, I know. What you're and talking like, about. and he's like, he, oh God, I. I on the Rob will find the clip if he even can remember it. And it's like, we cut this is vermouth. What's okay? I want to say vermouth, even though that's a liquor. <laughs> <Sure>. um, <laughs> he was being abducted, obviously, but what kind of holy nobody shit. leaves our house? Go, go. yeah, God, go nowhere. Holy shit, this is 20 miles. Go. You get back here. Uh, but uh, no, I would imagine that like what's considered safe comedy these days is American Pie Girls Rule. There is no nudity. Yeah, yeah. there is nothing. Uh, there's nothing sharp about it. It's just simply women, women empowerment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Even if it's not funny, like even though American Pie is a comedy like film franchise, it's not about laughs anymore. It's about empowerment. Yeah, even like if that we, empowerment is hollow. Like we were saying before, the message, the social message, absolutely. Yep. The social message comes first. Everything else, whether it be the laughs, the entertainment, comes second. It's and, that, and that's what it is. It's it's the grandstanding virtue signaling that Hollywood is exclusively concerned about. Sure, sure. So on the on that same kind of the little tangent that we went off on came from you know the idea of the the lasting legacy and like I said in that first one, um, the you know him fucking the pie, the um. The, the Alice and Hannigan stuff, uh, the one time at band camp. I'm kind of shocked that in, you know, since 2001, like I said, I'd never seen American Pie 2 before, that we don't have a cultural lasting legacy for the scene where Jim pretends to play the trombone. That was bonkers. I was like, how have I never heard about this before? Because when he gets into it and starts dancing and just like, and everybody's cheering him on, I'm like, this is crazy. <laughs> I I kind of think that might be my favorite sequence in the movie. <laughs> yeah, that's it's a fun sequence, but like it just it's so out of place. Like you could take that sequence out of the movie, and it doesn't change. Anything. Yes, like like it's there. I I know why it's there. It's there to show Jim like building up his confidence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I know why it's there, but like you could take that sequence out, and it would make no difference. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely all right there, about that. Yeah. All it's there, it's, it's a payoff to when he kind of has his moment of running back to her during the third act. Oh, when and he, like, he walks away from Nadia. When he hits that kid in the face with the trombone at the end. 
That I was I was like, that's pretty fucking funny. <laughs> well, that's the kid earlier who's like, you're a visitor. Visitors aren't allowed to be back here. Yeah, visitors brought cookies. Yeah. And the cookies brought a bear. And they had to shoot the bear in the head. And it... Guests bring food. Food attracts animals. This one time, a bear came. And then the bear had to be destroyed, which means they shot it in the head with a rifle and killed it. And it died. Oh, oh, it was, I I'm love that like, line. <laughs> he goes, this one time, a bear came, and it had to be destroyed. And by destroyed, I mean <laughs> shot in the head with a rifle. And I'm like, whoo! I'm like, yes! I'm like, give it to me, movie! This is what I want! <laughs> Rob's like, injected into my veins. I just loved that, that phrasing. This one time, a bear came, and it had to be destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, that seems, like, so out of place in this movie. Absolutely, yeah, because you could totally see, like, if they cut that out, Jim would go find Allison Hannigan, you know, she'd finish her flute lessons or whatever, and then she would say, this one time at, uh, this one time here, and you would just keep going, that like, that would be the, the callback, but they added this little extra touch that I find so pleasing, you know, it's like the little, it's like a little bit of mint on top of as a garnish or something like that. Sure, and the fact they gave it to an actor that has such a specific delivery of the line. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> It had to be destroyed. That's, that's my type of, of linguistic joke that just kills me every time. <laughs> well, okay, it's that same type of humor that's like Eddie K. Thomas being like she takes her vitamins. Yes, exactly. Yeah, 100%. you can say she has big boobs, or you can say she takes her vitamins, and yeah. that's where I say this film is pretty clever at times. Yeah, I guess Films. one of the one of the more um, basic things that I also laughed at. I think maybe this wasn't as clever, but this was just kind of so blunt that I laughed at it. You know, we talked about how Chris Klein leaves the big lacrosse game um, to uh, go and, and, you know, be in the singing competition. He shows up and everybody's like, you know, Oz, you made it. And Mina Suvari and them have their moment. And then the guy who was going to do the duet with her in place of Chris Klein says, does this mean I don't get to do the duet? And just some other character who has, I don't think has any other dialogue in the movie just goes, Albert, you suck. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so blunt and pointed and like probably the way that it cuts away to another you know shot of Mina Suvari or something so quickly Ozmeister oh, oh great that's a game I'm not playing you're missing the game for us no I'm missing the game for you D does this mean I'm not gonna get to do the duet Albert you suck just makes it hit so well <laughs> Like I said, this movie—it's even though it's a sex comedy, it's more. There's more to it than that. It, yeah, I would say yeah. it elevates the genre, the subgenre. Yeah, like we were saying before, sex is the motivation for some ridiculous moments and things like that. That you know might have some tangential relation to sex, but then just get almost you know, um, like we said before. They don't get absurd in the first movie. I think that helps keeping it realistic and grounded and, and makes it work better than the second. I have to say, though, Zach, the super glue scene in the second one, that's absurd. That is full-on absurdity, I think. I, but you, that's tr I, That sequence is gratuitous because it goes on for a while. Oh, yeah. But I could – like that to be I, – I would imagine that at least once a week in any hospital – Somebody comes in because they glued themselves to their genitals. Oh, sure, sure, yep. It's just how it's played out is over the top. Yes, the the whole, you know, oh, we get the reveal. Well, one, I feel like it's telegraphed. It's not like a big moment reveal that he's like, oh, no, he grabbed the glue instead of the lube. And it's just like, well, no, of course that's what the scene is setting up. But then when it's, you know, he's stuck to himself, he gets his hand stuck to the videotape, which I'm just like, why even take the videotape out of the thing at this moment? 
and then you know him climbing on the roof, him in well, he's in the shower first. He climbs on the roof. The neighbor well, calls the him, cops. It's him like panicking though, and I think that's where it makes sense for the character because Jim is sure. a very reactive character. So like the first thing, like he glues himself to the thing, and so like what's the first thing he's gonna do? He's gonna try to hot, try to sweep as much of this under the mattress as possible. So what's he gonna do? He's gonna take the tape out of the VCR and throw it under the mattress. And there's some pretty good physical comedy there of him like trying to chuck this thing. And not like leaving his hand mm-hmm. that I gotta give Jason Biggs some credit for. And I think again, does the sequence go on too long? Yes. Yes. But I do think it's meant to just show again, like Jim is just like a nervous bunny. And that's where at the end he does have his character arc because he has his confidence. He yes. finds out who he is as a character. He's like, oh or as an individual. He's like, Oh, I'm a ge- I, I'm a band geek who just never joined the band. Yes, exactly. And and I think also to that point, the the slight, you know, very small heart that the second movie might have, other you know, when it's not being like a just a straight, you know, teen sex comedy. I really, really loved the moment when, you know, um uh, Eugene Levy drives Jim back to the uh the, the beach house and he's like, I think it's better that we don't tell your mother about this, you know, she might not really understand it or anything like that. And Jim is says to, to Eugene Levy, he's like, thanks, Dad. You've been really cool with everything that's happened. And the camera just holds on Eugene Levy, and it. I honestly believe he is feeling that he's like, wow, my son called me cool, and I'm happy about that. Like, it's such great, you know, facial acting from Eugene Levy because he's not saying anything in that moment. And I was like, that's heartwarming. <laughs> Do you think there's a sequence even half as touching as that in, in Girls Rule? Uh, <laughs> I was about to say no, but if there is, I hope it's with Danny Trejo. <laughs> like, because if, if you look at the cast for Girls Rule, I, I didn't mention earlier, Danny Trejo plays Janitor Steve Garcia. I would love to get that scene where, you know, one of the main girls is like, Janitor Steve, you're pretty cool. And Danny Trejo, like, tries to look heartfelt and heartwarmed by that. <laughs> Uh, you know what other movie it was like this? Do you remember that movie Cockblockers that had like John Cena in it? Oh yeah, I've I've only heard about that, but yeah, absolutely. I think that's another. But again, that's the same thing where it's like, oh, the women want to have sex because women aren't prudes. Mm-hmm. And like you look at this movie and like the women aren't prudes either in this movie. They're just not the focus of it. Okay, okay, yeah. Like, I'm, show I'm with me, you. A, show show me a like a, like a movie that involves sex. In the last 20 plus – I'd say 20 to 25 years where a woman is a prude about sex. This is actually kind of strange because I, I I remember it being called cock blockers. Apparently it's just called blockers, but there is a silhouette well, of a rooster. Y- yeah, That's okay. a ridiculous decision. <laughs> <laughs> well, they probably couldn't – they probably couldn't call it cock blockers. Probably some like FCC rules saying that you can't oh, call it that's that. A, yeah, that's a good point. Oh my god, Gina Gershon's in it. Look at that. <laughs> But that's but that's the thing though is that like I, I get I don't get this weird sort of just Hollywood doing this realignment when it comes to like women and sex like women don't have to be like what's the word hidden about their like sexual urges sure it's like what when in the last twenty five years in pop culture media have women had to be like in the closet with their sexual like desires I'm like when is that when has that been a thing for almost a quarter of a decade now yeah yeah like like I, I don't get that like I just don't get this thing is like yeah women can be open about sex and wanting to have like like what's the word uh, gallivant like men do mm-hmm. it's like oh, oh okay I didn't know that was something that we were imposing. 
I'm with you. Um, it's it's one of the things that you know we've talked about how the um in the modern era of it's like these are the first strong female leads, and it's like well there's a, there's a lot of other examples that you seem to be voluntarily forgetting. But yeah, I, I don't it's, understand it's the, it either. It's 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 the Brie Larson is the most progress mm. is the only progressive actress to ever exist. <laughs> it's like are are we sure about that? Uh, we're on some uh this this might be some thin Isaac because we are white men talking about Brie Larson. I don't know, maybe I should bleep, bleep what was this that? out. <laughs> what was that? Was that in the Spring Breakers episode where you were like super duper intoxicated and you're just like, fuck Brie Larson. Probably. A, you're you're like, she's a cardboard cutout come to life. Oh god, yeah, I she's a terrible actress, I think. <laughs> and you know, and not just, you know, I've never seen Captain Marvel, but anything I've seen her in. Um and it's just it's so that interview with her, which I know we've talked about probably off mic, it's just when she's like, you know, doing that interview and just digging herself a hole further and further, and she says something like, am I saying I hate all white men? Uh, and, and she, like, doesn't really have anything good to say, and it's just, it's it's dumb. It's it's like the, it's like that Lars von Trier, what, at, at Cannes or whatever film festival where Lars von Trier was like, I understand Hitler. And everybody was like, whoa, like, dude, don't, don't talk about this. Like, Brie Larson dug herself a similar hole, I think. <laughs> but what's really funny is that, like, in this, not to bring this back to, like, Marvel, but, like, I've seen, like, now with, like, Black Widow out in theaters and being like, oh, we've been waiting, like, ten years for this movie. Mm-hmm. Everyone's like, like, they're like, oh, this movie didn't do as well as, like, Captain Marvel's opening weekend. And there's this weird sort of just, like, I don't even know what you would call it, like, a straw man argument. I, I just, I wouldn't even know what the type of, like, like, what, logical fallacy it would be considered where they're like, well, technically, like, Brie, like, Ms. Marvel, like, oh, I'm sorry, Black Widow was thrown under the bus for a more, like, spectacle, like, based like female like heroine sure and it's like is that how you're explaining why people don't care about this movie and that's what i that's what bothers me so much about that that argument for you know comparing those two movies i I don't think that has that might have something to do with it but really the big issue is just like we said in our you know when we were leading up to avengers endgame that like everything before endgame like the filler which captain marvel you know the filler that was the bread. You eat your bread at your restaurant when you're waiting for your meal. Black Widow's the dessert. Not everybody gets desserts at restaurants. It inherently has to do less well or or not as well as Captain Marvel because you always get the bread. You don't always get the dessert. And that drives me crazy that people want to talk about some messaging of the movie or something like that. And it's like, no, it's just timing. It's it's the literal timing of these things. But again, this is why we're getting uh, American Pie Girls rule. Yeah, this, yeah. This is why we get generate plus sign ion. Oh, is God. that like it's like this is the thing that makes me so frustrated with like just Hollywood now, or just the media in general? Is that like it's the message in nothing else but like just make an interesting story? Like you know, it's the best way to get people on board for your message. Like interlace it through an interesting story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is that like you don't have to like? And again, I think that's also contempt and like disdain for your audience. Being like, oh, they, <laughs> yeah. like I can't – like if I'm that clever with my message, they won't be able to pick up on it. Yep. If I'm not hitting them over the head with it, they won't get it. Yeah, it's it's a bummer. I think I think it's a bummer at least. So, right, You know what I love to see, Rob? We should have Michael Bay direct the episode of Euphoria. <laughs> <laughs> now you're just making me think if that happened, then the, the, um, the, the orgasm carousel scene would have been intercut with explosions like a la the naked gun sex scene where it shows like rockets going off and stuff like that. <laughs> like Michael Bay would have been like, how do I get explosions in here? Of course, during the orgasms. <laughs> <laughs> what we do is we have a sequence very similar to the Matrix Reloaded where – who is it? The uh, – oh god, what's his name? The Frenchman? 
the the or oh god oh the merovingian yeah yeah the merovingian like gives the like the the program the cake (laughs) we should do that but it's euphoria oh god what a great scene the the cake orgasm scene is that gonna okay this this is a fun okay this is a fun pair like this reminds me of like when jeremy irons was being like interviewed like somebody he got asked some question about like gay rights and gay marriage okay and and he like and he and he's just like okay so what stops like like a father and son from marrying each other to escape like tax in like oh god um inheritance law <laughs> and he's like and the, and the reporter's just like what and he's like okay tell me how it's not gonna be exploited for that reason and like the conversation like just immediately ended there so like i can't so like what's gonna happen when the fourth matrix film comes out is, is lana wachowski gonna be questioned over that sequence and how misogynistic that whole scene is ah, i don't know that's a, and demeaning and demeaning to women is like that's that a is good question that's a good, oh, really like, good I, question I, like who in the media is gonna fall on that sword asking a transgender woman why they felt they had to put that scene in the film 20 years earlier that's a, like, I, 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 I like that that pers- perspective of it of you know who in the media is gonna gonna try to do that you know they're, they're gonna they're take not. that leap like, no of course and not that's the thing. <laughs> like, and that's the thing like that's what makes me so goddamn mad about the media these days because like if that was michael bay like there'd be literally a thousand reporters just like firing shots yeah yeah like absolutely. it would be that it would be like that scene from star trek with eric banner where he's just screaming fire everything <laughs> like, like like it'd be that but like no one's gonna go after them for that sequence I, I would like to think that if, if somebody actually does try and ask, you know, Lana about that, that Lana's response is an incredibly extensive and detailed <laughs> description of the lore of the Matrix. Like, I want her to go into the, it's like, well, you know, the Merovingian, he's from one of the early matrices where uh, they created the monster world. And it's like citing things from like the Animatrix and the video games and stuff like that. And the reporter like will, is physically sitting there going, how can I transcribe this? <laughs> <laughs> But the problem, though, is that, like, if anybody else but that individual gave that answer, it'd be considered deflecting. Exactly. Yeah. That, another great point. Absolutely. Yep. Because like, I, I funny- think that's the thing is that Lana would truly, truly, both the Wachowskis truly see that scene as, you know, an important point in the tale of the Matrix, not as anything else, I would imagine. But that's the thing. Like, that sequence is not misogynistic. But the media on its constant just like pedestal yep. of looking for like low hanging fruit would just go after that if it was any other filmmaker. Yes, yes, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> that's an in- that's an interesting thought experiment, though. Maybe that's what it, I mean. we double down and we have that scene in the Matrix Four. <laughs> like that's the sort of like just like weird ass stuff I want in that film. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I, I want the Merovingian to come back. Just mention the Merovingian doesn't die in the end of the third matrix right because what no. he's in the opening he wants the eyes of the oracle and they like forget about that immediately and the movie that goes is, can on we, can we please talk about one of the like the god those matrix films are so much like goofy fun <laughs> i love how like we have like this five minute dissertation between like oh god morpheus oh who's who's the oracle's bodyguard that survives what's his name oh uh, s- Cyrus, yes, not Sisyphus, something like that. Yeah, (laughs) sure. But like, I love how like the Merovingian goes like on this like monologue and like Trinity's like just like I don't have time for this. He puts a gun to his head. (laughs) Yes, I love that. Like that is such a great sequence. I don't have time for this. (laughs) We need that. We need that in every movie. We don't have time for this. Like that should be like in every Marvel film. Like some characters going off on like their diabolical scheme. Oh, absolutely. And when the characters pulls like out, we don't have time for this. That should happen in Avengers Endgame. Seraph. Seraph. Yes. yes. What a great goddamn character. 
every, every we need more Wachowski. You want know okay? I can't wait for the Wachowski series. Like twenty twenty two, man, it's gonna be a fun year. We need to get to Jupiter Ascending. Wachowskis are great. Wachowskis no, are great. Wachowskis, Wachowskis are great, but they're also insane. Like, oh yeah, I think that's career. why they're great. <laughs> wait, just wait till you get to Rob. Like, there's a part of me that, like I know you're gonna love Jupiter Ascending. Okay. For the same reasons why that like I love Euphoria, but <laughs> sure. But you, there's also like the intellectual part of your brain that's gonna be like, "Fuck, this is bad. <laughs> this is just bad." Oh man. Oh man. I cannot yeah. wait. Like. Rob thinks I'm luring him in here with a razor head. He's gonna be like Ludovico techniques, and we're gonna watch Jupiter ascend. <laughs> yeah, what a what a tangent. <laughs> I guess uh, were there any other scenes or anything uh, that you wanted to hide or characters? I, I mean, I think we talked about a lot of them. Um, I mean, maybe we didn't touch on a lot, but uh, Natasha Leone, she's great in this movie. I think everybody knows her. She's most... good in the first film. She, like you well, said, she's non-existent. Yeah, in the she doesn't film. have anything to do in the second. Did she film. get arrested for like being schizophrenic or something? I don't know. That's an interesting question. I was going to say everybody a... knows her from Orange is the New Black. She's a huge character oh, on that show. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I remember hearing her name. Like, I remember this. hearing her. <laughs> some some actress that was involved with the like American Pie franchise was like arrested for being schizophrenic. Huh. Um, I, I don't know. Someone was arrested. I think they have some sort of mental disorder. Um, it was, their, their problems are not, like, are not fair to judge them on. But it was just a fun headline. Like it was just like it was the media once again doing what the media does best, just dumping gasoline on something. Uh, it looks like she has had some drug and health issues, but nothing schizophrenia related. It seems okay. Okay, fair enough. Uh, okay, but yeah, that might be something I have to do a correction on. Figure out who has schizophrenia <laughs> from the American Pie movie. Somebody, who got arrested for schizophrenia? That's um, but like she's out. she's great in the first movie. Um, I haven't really seen her in a lot of things, but it's. I thought she she did a wonderful job with with what she was given, and I don't, I don't know if there's anybody else that we didn't hit on or anything like that. So Stifler's mom, Jennifer Coolidge. Jeez, what a what a 2001 Jennifer Coolidge has been having, right? <laughs> I know. God, she was just. God, she was everywhere. Yeah, yeah, and um, and, she, and Jennifer Coolidge is such a fun. She's such a fun actress. Like that's the like, Jennifer Coolidge is like. The definition of a character actor. Yes. Like, like, just like she's like you could put her in anything. What's like she's like one step like before what Samuel Jackson's become, where he's just like thrown at everything because they're just like everyone's just lazy. Mm-hmm. But like, oh gosh, she's so much fun. Like, in, like I, I, is there a bad Jennifer Coolidge performance? I don't she's think not, so. When when she's being used appropriately. I I don't I don't think so. I mean, even you know recently, like I I've told you, I've said you know she's a one of the better parts of promising young woman as the mother when she's like she's like we got you a birthday present you're turning 30 we got you a suitcase hint hint and then the main character's like oh i forgot it was my birthday and jennifer coolis just like breaks down crying she's like my daughter forgot it was her birthday and it's so weird i love it (laughs) i love it so 2001 uh, jennifer coolidge has five appearances in film We've now discussed three. <laughs> We've got, we did Legally Blonde, Pootie Tang, and American Pie 2. We're only missing Down to Earth and Zoolander. <laughs> oh, God. I forgot Zoolander. Zoolander was a post-9-11 film, right? Yes. Yeah, that's, uh, that's later on in the year, I believe. It was uh, September 28th, really in the shadow <laughs> of 9-11. Rob, Rob, we had to do that. That, that, has to, that has to be a bonus episode. Like, the wake of 9-11. <laughs> <laughs> the wake of 
<laughs> oh man. Yeah, she's she's been in everything. I mean, and also technically we did cover Legally Blonde too, so we've seen her four times in the four year. <laughs> oh god. God damn uh, Jennifer Coolidge. She's great. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And then anything else? Was there anything else that you wanted to? Oh, I mean, maybe there's one thing I did want to bring up. Something I give the second movie a, a hard no at the end. I do not like that Nadia and Sherman get together. I did not approve. <laughs> that, okay, that, okay, this is the thing I will, I, I'm, it's kind of out of nowhere, but it works in the context of the story. Because, like, she has, like, Jim has his moment with her in the lighthouse where she, yep. like, he's explaining to her, like, his place and everything. And she's like, oh, she's like, I'm just looking for my geek as well. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I think it's the moment where like they're like, it's to be revealed that Nadia is not superficial, and that like she just wants somebody that's just this goofy and fun. And I think that's the thing. Like Nadia is kind of like a non-character in both films, and at that moment we make her a real character because she's just like, like she's sitting there like at the table drinking, and Sherman comes over. And, like, he's kind of having this, like, self-defeating moment. And she's like, no, that's funny. Like, like the Terminator. Like, and, like, he plays into it. And she's like, oh, this is all I want. I just want a goofy, fun guy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, is, is it a little too, like, wrapped up neatly? Yes. I think that's my big problem with it, yeah. But I think it, I think it, it works. It might be a little too neat, but it works. It, it, gets, it gets what it wants. And I'm, I, I'm willing to accept that, all things considered. Sure. Uh, yeah, I think the, the, it being tied up a little too neatly and also the aspect of I, I never really got the sense that, you know, Nadia w- was looking for a geeky dude in either the first movie or, like, the entire first half of the second movie. That seemed to kind of come out of nowhere for me. Uh, I don't know if it comes out of nowhere. I think it's just much more subtle. Because, like, okay. clearly she has a thing for Jim, and Jim is, like, the definition of, like, a goofball goober. Sure, sure. <laughs> so I, I think I think it's just that, like, again, Nadia's not given any time to breathe. Yeah. She, she's more yeah. – and she's just more of a – like, she's the sexy foreign exchange student. Yep, yep, 100%. Yeah. It, well, I think it chalks it up – chalk it up as well to, you know, the script just wants you to keep going, you know, that type of thing. Oh, Definitely. All right. Anything else that you wanted to mention about American Pie 1, I, 2? I, I do. I do want to talk a little bit more about, like, the deleted subplot of, like, Oz. Oh, sure. And, and Heather. Because, like, apparently from, like, and this is my own inference, that it seems like when Stifler, like, says, like, they're having, like, the first, like, beach party and, like, it's the sausage fest. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he's like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm going fishing. And he, like, tells, like, Oz to go along. And he, like, goes right through, like, the the gathering of the girls in bikinis. Yeah. That, from the the behind-the-scenes featurette, it seems like that was going to be the catalyst as to, like, Oz's subplot of, like, cheating on Heather. And Heather was supposed to also cheat on him. Like, that's the thing, too. Mm -hmm. Is that, like, it was supposed to be another layer of, like, the idea of, like, how, like, oh, relations, like, all these different facets of how, like, relationships, like, come together and then deteriorate. Sure. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think I read something about. I read about that as well. I think I found somewhere that they said something like they didn't think that was going to fit in this movie, so they just apparently they they shot it it though. Like, no, they shot it, and they that that's why all like the Oz and Heather stuff feels so weirdly tacked on. Okay, and it's so kind of removed from like any other like characters in the film. Mm -hmm. Is that like apparently they did shoot all that stuff? Apparently, there's some like American Pie like behind the scenes documentary like an American Pie like legacy that was released like in 2003. And it's on there, but was only ever released on that specific DVD release. Sure. Um, but, like, no, apparently, like, and they break up at the end of the film. 
like, like, they, they, like they like they go out on good terms very like similarly to like Kevin and Tara Reed. Yeah, yeah. But like they do break up because they both cheat on each other because they both like are just longing for that physical intimacy and they're like, what's the point if we can't be together? Sure, sure. Okay. So, so yeah, no, like I said, that's just something that I, again, I, I don't know if it would have worked, but it's an interesting concept as to a layer for these sort of films. Yeah, yeah, that I, I kind of, I, yeah, I, th- I think I agree with you there for sure. And then there was the other thing where apparently, all, originally they had filmed scenes with Stifler's father that didn't work, and they cut it out and they put the brother. How in could I almost forget this, Zach? I can't believe I almost forgot to talk about this because the thing that I read, and I know it's like there was like an IMDb trivia fact, and I found like a little. It was weird corroboration because it might have just been coming from somebody writing about the IMDb trivia fact. But what I read was that, of course, in the movie, you know, Finch is doing this tantric sex stuff and he's like building up to the the greatest orgasm of his life or something like that. Like we said with the ficus and things of that nature. From what I read, Stifler's dad was supposed to like rub Finch's shoulders and Finch was going to just like have a... An, like an, an orgasm because of this, because of like what he's been doing with the tantric sex stuff. And there was going to be a scene at the end where Finch got to say to Stifler, your dad gave me the best orgasm of my life. And I'm like, that's a really interesting like switcheroo of the, I had sex with your mom thing at the end of the first movie. <laughs> and that's what it sounds like. It was like everything else, with, like Stifler's mom at the end was tagged on. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, I, I also did find it funny when she rolls up and, you know, he ta- Finch talks to her. He's like, what's your name? <laughs> I prefer to be called Stifler's mom. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so also, something that, that made me think of is I, I wanted to mention this. I think I told Zach about this off mic a while ago. Um, but one of the things I knew about American Pie, I think one of the cultural osmosis things, is the um, the sex pact where they make the pact to lose their virginity before uh, – graduation or, or something like that there is a cold open to one of the episodes of the birthday boys a sketch comedy show that we did not cover in our sketch comedy fort month but the cold open is like the gang because i think there's five or six people in the birthday boys and it's them in like a high school like locker hallway setting and they do the same thing they're talking about girls and they they end up making the pact that they're gonna lose their virginity before graduation and then it turns out that graduation has just started. <laughs> and so they are, like, rushing to find somebody to have sex with in, like, three minutes as, as like, the names are being called at graduation. And I've always loved that gag. <laughs> what up, guys? Senior year, baby! Guys, guys, let's make a pact to lose our virginities before we graduate. Who's in? Come on. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. The song's starting. We don't have much time. <laughs> well, welcome today to our matriculation ceremony, and we're very happy to have you all uh, and honored. I'm going to call names now? Hi, Samantha. Oscar, Would you maybe uh, want to... Listen, Megan, it can be quick sex. It doesn't even need to be good. You don't even have to enjoy it, just as long as it's sex. You look really pretty today. So, (laughs) here's a doozy. I want to have sex. (sighs) This is going to be a lot harder than I thought. I know, we should have made this pact years ago. Shut up over there. This is Hammermill. Would you take my virginity? (laughs) All right, that's it. All seven of you get up here. 
Come on up. Mr. Kowalik, explain yourself. It's just we all made a pact to lose our virginities before we graduated. <sighs> Another pact. This happens every year. <sighs> Fine. Will someone please have sex with them? Oh, fine, I'll have sex with this one. <laughs> really? Miss Dingle from the American Group of Southern Ladies. Let's hear it for her. What about the rest of you? Superintendent, hi. I made a pact with my friends. Yes, I will have sex with you. Yes. But then we're going to be in a relationship, and I will require your time, emotional support, and frequent trips to the airport, Mr. Mitchell. Oh, never mind. Are you seriously going to pass her up on that? Yeah. Very disappointing. Principal Blather, I did it. I lost my virginity. And very quickly. Yes. Nice job, Mr. Kowalik. Very proud of you. Thank you very much. And uh, the rest of you do not graduate. What? Why not? We passed all those classes. We take our pacts very seriously here at this high school, and I cannot in good conscience allow a bunch of virgins out into the world. <laughs> I was not aware of that, and I'm surprised there was some form of sketch comedy we did not discuss. Uh, well, that's why we got to do another, you know, Fort Fort Years. The Fort Fort Years, Zach. It'll be... <laughs> the Fort Millennia. The Fort Millennia, yes. <laughs> oh, uh, but no, but did you... But apparently, like, they did shoot that stuff with Stifler's dad. Okay. And from I found a podcast that interviewed a director of American Pie 2. Oh. And, and apparently, like, the test audiences didn't react to it well. They were just kind of like, okay, and... And apparently, like, it was Sean Penn's brother, who's now dead. Oh, he sure. The, and apparently, like, his performance was supposed to be even more over the top than Stifler was in the movie. Really? Wow. Okay. Yes. Okay. Interesting. And apparently, it just it just didn't work out. Like, it was just in the sense of, like, it just, like, it was unnecessary. It was superfluous. Sure, sure. Okay. Well, wow, interesting. Yeah, I would love to see some of that stuff because it sounds so bonkers. Um, but we probably never will. <laughs> it's it's not on YouTube, but no, apparently it's on this like again American Pie DVD. Okay, like okay. Like, like I think it was released to coincide with like the American Wedding because that was like the ending of the trilogy. Mm -hmm. Um, but like it was like its own thing back when like DVDs were considered like a hot market. Still, it's like sure. oh, like an like an American legacy. It's like okay, uh, but apparently all this stuff is on there. Interesting. Okay. I can't imagine it's hard to track down on eBay, but I could be wrong. Sure, sure. Anything else, Zach, for American Pies? <laughs> I kind of, I kind of want to watch Reunion and Girls. I, I, <laughs> I, I definitely want to watch Reunion now, just to kind of like see where like all this like ends up. But at the same time, too, like I have like a morbid curiosity for Girls. I know you um you banged out all the Fast and Furious movies in preparation for F nine after our after we did fa the Fast and the Furious. Is this the next franchise you you force yourself to sit through the American Pie movies? No, 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 no. I just want to. I, I have no interest in ever. Like my only okay, my main memory. Okay, just a couple more things I just want to say about the American Pie franchise. Okay, I remembered when American Wedding came out that like I I wanted to get the DVD for that and I wasn't allowed to. But, like, the big point, like, in the marketing for American Wedding that I remember was, like, Stifler has, like, sex with somebody's grandmother. And, like, because he thinks it's, like, oh, God, I think he thinks it's Al, like, uh, oh, God, Jim's, oh God, what's her name, Allison? Uh, Hannigan, Han yeah. Hannigan, Hannigan. I don't know why I keep screwing up her name. <laughs> um, it's, like, my emotional re like, repressing of memories from How I Met Your Mother. Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's, like, her, it's, like, her grandmother, but he thinks it's her sister who she's trying, who he's having sex with. 
And they're like, where's Stifler? Oh, he's in the coat closet. And they open the door. And he's just like, like giving like that Sean William Scott like grin. Mm-hmm. And then, like it's like, what are you doing, Stifler? And like grandma like leans up. She's like, focus, focus, focus. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and that's a thing. The act that happens. <laughs> and, and, and and that's kind of like, like I don't know, like this is such a weird franchise because I think it definitely did peter out with the third film when, when it came to like a theatrical experience, mm-hmm. quote unquote. But um, yeah, I don't know, like like American Pie. It's one of those things where like even like I remember like back. I don't know how much Rob and I have ever delved into this. Like I know we haven't delved into it much on the podcast, but when it comes to even our friendship, like my serious infatuation with hillary duff like in like 2003 2004 sure which like which we will definitely get to in a couple of years when we have the hillary duff uh lizzie mcguire series in 2003 that commemorate the 20-year anniversary of that film okay <laughs> that is coming rob that is coming are we gonna um, do uh, the uh, the haunting of sharon tate <laughs> no no just lizzie mcguire we're gonna do an entire month on lizzie mcguire okay um so anyway though, i remember like in the press tour for like a Cinderella story, which also has Jennifer Coolidge as like the evil stepmother. I remember them like interviewing Hillary Duff on like MTV, one of these shows. And they're like, so what's it like to have Stifler's mom as your mom? <laughs> and okay. this is, and this is years after that was like a thing. And that just shows you once again, how like just like pervasive that was in the culture Definitely. in the early two thousands. Stifler's mom. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yes, but that's it though. I don't think I have anything else. Okay, right other on. than our usual questions. Yeah, yeah, I am. I am ready to get to that then. So, um, I figured as we usually do, we're going to split these up. Uh, do you have any uh, any reason to pair them or anything like that? No. Uh, I, I think we could. I, I don't know about you, but I, I think I'm going to be consistent across the board when it comes to my. I am as well going to be consistent. Okay. So, so that makes sense. All right, sense. it doesn't matter. It doesn't yeah, matter. <laughs> whenever that happens, it doesn't make a difference. <laughs> Um, so, uh, for Cinemodities, uh, for both, I'm gonna go no. I, I definitely think these are, while maybe, you know, very, uh, seminal and, you know, uh, important in the annals of teen sex comedies, maybe may very true, uh, but I don't think there's anything really odd about these. And I'm, I'm kinda gonna have to say no to both for Late Night as well. I, I might, see, this is the thing that I was thinking, where... If I had the choice of late night, which is where I'm always coming from, you know, if, if I'm the curator of what we're watching as a late night movie, I'm coming from the perspective that I would not put these forward, uh, neither American Pie 1 or 2. But it's kind of in this weird position where if somebody else was curating the late night and they offered up American Pie 1 and 2, I don't think I'd say no. Like, I would be a little more open to to watching these as a late night movie if it was curated by somebody else, you know, maybe in comparison to Saving Silverman, where somebody else was like late night movie Saving Silverman, I would be like, I'm using my veto. (laughs) Absolutely, yes. So I'm going no across the board completely. What do you think? Well, I I agree with you. It's a no for for Cinemati and for late night movie across the board. Okay. Um, I will say, though, that remember, Rob, one of the cardinal sins of, of late night movie watching is that like at least one party has to have not seen the film? Yes. Nothing. Yes. Nothing is worse than uh, a rewatching thing of two people as, as a late night movie. That's a good point, and this probably you know falls in the category of you know going to be hard pressed to find somebody who hasn't seen them. Yep. So if somebody suggests like, oh, we should watch these and never seen them, then sure. But uh, no, it's I would I'd be hard pressed to initiate this. It's like, oh, we should watch these. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. So I concur. Okay, well then that brings us to the restaurant, and I think I want to start 
tying into the restaurant, uh, one of the things that I was that you didn't bring up, and I wanted to save for the restaurant part, it is the the gross out humor in these movies, and of course in the first one. It's a beer filled with cum, and in the second one, it is <laughs> Steve Stifler getting his head peed on when he thinks it's champagne, and so he's licking it off his lips. Absolutely disgusting. I'm, I'm not a, like, gross-out humor, as we talked about in our Freddy Got Fingered episode, it has its place, and I, it can be done, so I find it very funny. But when it is, like, mixed with this, this bodily function, your toilet humor, bodily uh, uh, liquids and, and fluids and stuff like that, I am, I am not for it. But... You have to know that when I watch that first movie, I'm thinking cum-filled beer on the restaurant menu. (laughs) 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 I hope no one ever ever orders it. I don't know who's – I don't know what type of beer it would be. I don't know whose jizz it would be, but I I feel like it it has its place for how ridiculous and gross some of the things on our menu are that it it has a home there, right? (laughs) If I may make a suggestion. Sure, sure. On the menu, we have the pale ale. And in the description, it says jizz-infused ale. <laughs> but but what we do is we, we make it the same way they made it as a prop in the film. It's beer with egg whites. Oh, okay. So like there that. is no real jizz in it, though, but the consumer, the restaurateur – does not know. <laughs> I, I really like that, and that also makes you think that this could be a new addition to kids' Halloween parties, you know, like the grapes with the skin peeled off that's like eyeballs, and be like, this is beer with jizz in it. And they'd be like, ew, and be like, don't worry, it's just egg whites. <laughs> there you go, Rob. I figured it out. Okay, yeah, I dig that. I dig that. Um, the, the other food item that I had, I was thinking, you know, we would just have something called the American Pie. And there wouldn't really be an explanation on the menu. Homemade or McDonald's? Uh, I think homemade. I think it would look like the pie from the first movie. And maybe no description of it on the menu or maybe some description to get the customer to realize that it is related to the movie, American Pie. But that's it. Like, no actual description of what's in it. And then, you know, if if a customer ever asks our waitstaff about it, they don't explain it either. So my thought is that it's the American pie that the customer knows is related to the pie that Jason Big fucks in American Pie, <laughs> but they have to really take the gamble and order it to see if this is, like, the pie pre- or post-fucking, you know? <laughs> Can I have it as a prop, much like the Dune from Jodorowsky's Dune? Can we have the pie from American Pie? Do you want the, do you want the, the, the mushed-up version of it, like when, when Eugene Levy and Jim are sitting at the table, or do you want, like, the, the pre-fucked pie? <laughs> I, think, I think we all know which pie I want, Rob. <laughs> There's many different stages of this pie. There's the, the, the full pie, there's the pie with the finger holes in it, and then there's the mushed-up destroyed pie. <laughs> <laughs> so the question is, though, Rob, did he climax in the pie, or did, he, or did, Jim, or did Jim's dad interrupt I, yeah. him before that? I, I took it as, you know, he got interrupted in the act type of thing. Also, can we please talk about the point that, like, a pie tin is, like, what, like— an inch deep? Well, yes, that, that of course is it's infeasible to to lay on top of a pie and fuck it. Like he would need what the you you've gotta like take the pie out of the tin, ball it up, and then fuck it, you know? Like you can't Because <laughs> it would have made sense well, if they Rob, made like Rob, a deep dish pie or something, but it's just like Rob, a solid pie. He had to Rob, excuse me, he have to wad it up like a ball. What? Like a like like a nerf ball. Oh, God. 
get to pump lube into it. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great that like what's it, oh god who was that? Was that Jason Reitman who did Men, Women, and Children? Yes. And yes. he's sitting there with his producers, being like, "So we want the kid to like fuck a ball." He's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa! We just can't have him fuck, have him fuck any ball. We need like like." like a football type shape, one that like you can actually insert something into. <laughs> and the producer's just sitting there just being like, what is he talking about? And like Jason Reitman just keeps talking. And then like, it cuts back to like 10 minutes. It's like a SpongeBob, like cue card, like 10 minutes later. And it's like, <laughs> and it's like, so we've got that figured out. He's like moving on to the, uh, it, I, I'd fuck her, but I don't know where the hole is. Yes, yes. <laughs> I'm also imagining like somebody, like the, in the prop department for that movie, who had to like you know make that thing for that scene. Goes home one day and it's like, "How was your work day, honey?" And it's like, "I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to bring this home." <laughs> I want that prop. Like, like you think of like I would love to interview Jason Reitman. And just be like, so, 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 what happened to that? <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. Imagine the two of us interviewing him about that movie and me just being like, you've offended me and our species with the concept of this movie. And then Zach's – that's all my what my questions are about. And Zach's response is like, so I want to talk about the nerf fucking. Like, can you give me an in-detailed de- in analysis of, of that scene from start to finish? Can we, can we please talk about the moment in Men, Women, and Children where Judy Greer's daughter and her like talking – like Judy Greer is legitimately like whoring her daughter out for yes. like pictures online for money and then like like judy greer has the epiphany and the daughter and she's like you're better than this daughter and the daughter goes no i'm not <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> absolutely ridiculous <laughs> rob we need to revisit men women and children because i think like now that like like, like that like, you know my problem is i flew too close to the sun <laughs> i got you involved with that movie a little too early like i i, I think now that you know where i'm getting at with movies i think you will 100 you might not like that movie but i think you'll appreciate it much more than you did like you, three and a half years you're ago probably right with that that i i don't think i would not be offended by it anymore but i would probably understand some of the uh the 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 points you were making in that discussion better <laughs> such a great film oh, um Oh God! Because, oh God! What was that? What's the other sequence? The girl gets like the oh God, ec- oh God! What's the exact word? Echotopic like pregnancy, and she's in the oh, hospital. Yeah, and it's like it's like I'm sorry, Daddy. Don't you, Daddy, me? <laughs> Jesus. J.K. Simmons is in that movie, Rob. Everybody's J.K. in it. Dean Norris is in that movie. <laughs> you have. Ansel Elgort, like, comically eating pillows trying to kill himself. Yes, yes. Because Judy, Jennifer Garner won't let her daughter wear a purple wig on the internet. And Dean Norris deleted his World of Warcraft account. <laughs> <laughs> no, he called the credit card company and canceled payment, Rob. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it, the movie plays it as the worst thing in existence. <laughs> it's great. It's, it's perfect. It is perfect oh god what else is there um okay food snack wise did you pick up on the product placement in american pie 2 the at one point like they're all sitting there like having lunch as they're like as they're like taking a break like from painting and stifler has a mountain dew code red and it's so clearly like framed like in this shot yeah okay yeah 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 you know i want rob i just want mountain dew code red okay it's probably the it might be the most lethal thing in the restaurant I haven't had one in years, uh, but uh, I would I would definitely be okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> can I can I please talk about how like okay, this is a very like, I know how Rob has his weird like diatribes on things like how he can't find like clam sauce 
in Colorado. Sure. <laughs> um, can we talk about how like like a couple like a few months ago, I was researching like different brands of like diet soda. And apparently I found out like Mountain Dew makes like diet everything for everything in their like catalog. Oh, okay. Except it's only available like in the Southeast. Sure. And how like I found there was like Mountain Dew like code red diet. And I'm like, where do I get this? And like the only way to do it is like get it like for like $25 case from Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. But, but there's diet Baja Blast available in Connecticut. And I almost drove an hour and a half. <laughs> One day I saw that and I'm like, I'm like, do I do I really drive like three hours round trip for diet soda? And I'm like, I am not that bad of a human being. Yeah, yet. I w- I would say you know maybe uh, tie that trip in with something else. You know maybe maybe you know that's a just a something on the itinerary and not the main objective. <laughs> oh God, Rob, I want it. I love Mountain Dew, um, except for Pepsi Blue, Rob. Uh, a- absolutely disgusting. <laughs> Rob is a monster. Like, you know what the worst thing Rob's ever done to me? It's not Corella. It's not True Detective. <laughs> it's saying that Pepsi Blue isn't the nectar of the gods. Oh, oh, oh God. <laughs> like, I will literally, like, like, not, like, have a chaser with alcohol instead of drinking Pepsi Blue as a chaser. Like, like if I, if I take a shot of, like, the cheapest, nastiest tequila that will make me gag, I will gag harder <laughs> if I chase it with Pepsi Blue. That stuff is so gross sick. <laughs> Rob's like, I would rather drink the pale ale than Pepsi Blue. <laughs> At least there's protein in the pale ale. God, goddamn, five out, of the, five out of the six pack of Pepsi Blue I bought will just sit in my pantry for a long time. <laughs> That's perfect. Like, like, I will come there years from now hunting for it. Yes. Like, 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 Rob's, like, like, his, like, doorbell will ring. He'll see me outside. I'll be, like, scratching my neck. I'll be, like, Tyrone Bacon. So I'm, like, getting on that Pepsi Blue laying around. <laughs> There's something you should know about me, Joe Rogan. I drink Pepsi Blue. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! Yes, a hundred percent spot on. Uh, I could. I, I feel like there was another instance of product placement in this that I can't remember now. I forget where it was. Like well, when was you mentioned the um the Mountain Dew in the second movie, I think it's in the first movie in their high school. There is a Mountain Dew vending machine. It wasn't. Uh, no, it was in the second machine. It was something else, but it was just well, as okay, like okay. clear as the code. That red. definitely stood out to me as well. Um, but yeah, nothing. Nothing explicitly comes to mind. I don't know. We'll try, the moment we like we end the recording, I'll pick it up. And I'll be like, aha, sure. there it is. <laughs> um, but snack wise, like there is quite a few snacks in this, like beyond just the gross out stuff. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, I feel like, like – but I, I don't know. But it seems like Solo just kind of like low-hanging fruit. Ex- exactly. Like, That's kind of how I felt where, you know, they just have, um, you know, the base, like basic alcohol stuff, alcohol kegs, you know, all that stuff. The other the other thing, it's not a snack that I had, but um, I, I did uh, – I, I liked – I picked up on in – I think it – yeah, definitely the first movie when like the band kids are in the hallway and you see Allison Hannigan say something like, what if when we played – the next time we play in band, when we play our instruments, we play them backwards? And – I was like, well, maybe if we have a band play in our restaurant, we only let them play their instruments backwards. <laughs> oh, okay. Because I would love that, that we institute that on the band. Like, you know, maybe the band comes in and they're like, oh, yeah, we want to play. You know, we got a gig here, that type of thing. They don't really know what they're getting themselves into because of the restaurant. And then, you know, we say, you know, we'll book you, but you have to play your res- your instruments backwards. And they have to be like, what do you mean backwards? <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, we even get the shot of like the dude with the violin, like holding the, um, like the body farther away from him, like literal, literally backwards, you know, <laughs> uh, such a silly movie movies. Yes. 
Yeah, but no, I'm going to keep my snack just a code red. Okay, okay, that's that's fine. <laughs> and yeah, I think that was everything else all I had. So with that being said, geez, Zach, one more to go in the fort year. Next week, our final episode of the 2001 fort year. At least proper, because this, I think Zach is getting the, the idea now. He wants to do, like, the uh, the, the loose, the, the spare parts of the fort year with, like, Zoolander and stuff. But it's going to be Jeepers Creepers 1 and 2. Movies that I, I... I've never seen the second one. I think I've only seen part of the first one. So that should be good. But we're going to end the fort year on some horror. And we haven't recorded it yet, but we should have a special guest that will be very, very fun. Yes, we have convicted pedophile Victor <laughs> Salva coming onto the podcast with us. Oh man, yeah, we I can't could, wait we to... couldn't get the manslaughterer. Sure, sure, but I, yeah, we I, got a convicted pedophile. I can't wait to tell my story of um of how I learned that from you and and the kind of research I did about it. But I'll save it for next week, so that'll be good. We'll finish out the fort year. It'll be it'll be good fun as always. Uh, complain to us, cinematis at gmail.com. Hit us up on the uh, subreddit or if you want to learn more about the show. And head on over to join Cinematis Plus at patreon.com slash for some good shit. Now, Zach, here's the thing, the way to end this episode. I got two, two things in contention. One, in the first movie, we get a needle drop of Flagpole Sitta by Harvey Danger. And as everybody knows... I love me some Harvey Danger. So I'm very tempted to put that, but later on throughout the movie of American Pie, I'm also kind of leaning towards throwing in the acapella version of Do You Believe in Magic in reverse from, uh, from Chris Klein and the, and the singing competition. Maybe I'll do a medley. I don't know. Do you have any contenders for music related to this movie? Because uh, we are in no I'm, shortage of needle drops, of course. <laughs> it's okay, this, okay. I'm glad we brought – we like, like I wanted to say this for the end because obviously is where we talk about music and stuff. But like – is the music like the needle drops in the second one? Is that like, is it a needle drop? Because like, it doesn't just like, like, oh god, it plays in the background, but like, it's not obnoxious. It's more like, for it's like sound- musical montage purpose, you know? Yeah. So like, like I don't know. And a couple of times, like I'd even say, like it, it kind of just like crosses the line to like, oh god, die, like, oh god, diegetic music. Sure, sure. A Especially couple of party montages, yeah. Yeah, but no, like I kind of like love almost every song in the second in the second <laughs> film. Like to the point where like it's funny, I was looking at the poster for the second film and like I forgot this is a thing that, like movies used to actually do. Like at the bottom of the poster it says like, oh, being released like August, blah blah blah. And then it's like July thirtieth soundtrack also available. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, man, remember when like soundtracks that were just compilations of other things was like a legit like release? Yep. Oh yeah, absolutely. Man, how times have changed. I can't – I mean I looked into it a little bit, but the second one, American Pie 2, the soundtrack is like three or four some 41 songs. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. I like I, – there's, there's some songs I love so much. Throw in some lit, you know, that type of stuff. <laughs> I love it. I okay. want – I, I, oh. I, I, I want – I like this, like, like, like a mishmash of all of it. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. I'll figure something out. I'll do a medley, you know, that type of thing. So, all right. I think I think we did it. I think we did it. As always, Zach, uh, go and go ahead and double click your mouse. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs>